Ladies and gentlemen, we, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. Hello and welcome to this June 7th, 2018, Thursday edition of the Hagman Report. We are so glad to be here tonight. For those of you who are on with us now, as you can see, we are audio only tonight as we only had really the first uh, half hour of video. Everybody else was coming on via audio only, so we decided, hey, we're just going to kick back, relax, and do the audio only since most of the guests are not coming on via video, but it's great to be here we got a lot of uh, interesting stuff we're going to get into tonight. A lot's happening in the world of politics and in the economy and all. just about every aspect of our society is, seems to be moving and shaking in one direction or another. And we're going to talk about what is going on in a whole host of areas. One, we the highly anticipated Inspector General report on the FBI's handling of the Hillary Clinton investigation into the 2016 presidential campaign will be released next Thursday. It was initially set to be released on the 5th of June, pushed back until Monday the 11th, and now has been pushed back a few more days to Thursday the 14th of June. That day is also President Trump's birthday. The Inspector General told the committee chairman, Chuck Grassley, in the letter that he had accepted the invitation to testify about the report on June 18th, meaning his scheduled appearance before the committee is being delayed again. So... As we see uh, Horowitz's draft is complete, we see other leaks coming out about the contents of this report and what this could mean for people like James Comey, for Andrew McCabe, Rod Rosenstein, and others. That's a story we will continue to follow, obviously. Uh, you know, one of the biggest political, if not the biggest political scandal in American history. Very interesting indeed. Looking forward to that 500-plus page report. I don't know if anybody's ever said that before. I'm looking forward to reading that 500-page report. But it is what it is. And, uh, you know, we got to get to the bottom of this. And many people don't even know if you can trust the Inspector General and how far will they go. Uh, I thought I saw, you know, the one interesting thing I saw about all this is uh, Sean Hannity yesterday made a, an interesting remark that was uh, taken and written about by The Hill. Robert Mueller wants the witnesses in, I think, the Paul Manafort case, or I'm not sure what witnesses he's re referring to. He wants all the witnesses to hand in their cell phones so he can go through the encrypted messages to, to see what's there. He, we're talking about witnesses. He wants all the witnesses to hand over their personal cell phones. The psychopath, Robert Mueller. But Hannity said, sarcastically, uh, follow Clinton's lead. Get out the, the, the acid wash, get out the bleach pit, get out the hammers, and smash the phones. <laughs> it's not obstructing of justice when Clinton does it. Why should it be when the other side oh, does? Well, when the Clintons do it, it's a party, Joe. I thought that was a great point that he made. <laughs> hey, you know, uh, real quick, you mentioned uh, Inspector General Horowitz, and this goes back a, a few months ago, but uh, a friend of the program, Tracy Beans, on her YouTube channel, began a, a series, Joe, on um, IG Horowitz, and he's a pretty interesting character. Long story short, he was appointed by Obama in 2011 
but he is has got a really unique record of attempting to obtain data from multiple different agencies in the federal government, from the DOJ to the DOD, uh, the EPA, even, even NOAA. And what's happened is there were firewalls built in, some in the Clinton era, some in the Obama era. And I.G. Horowitz uh, threw out a, just an absolute snowstorm of memos and letters demanding that these firewalls, what he called, quote-unquote, jumping through hoops, be removed, and after about a year or so, when the various agencies refused to comply, he uh, put together a letter that I believe it was either 71 or 73 uh, inspectors general signed this letter, and they presented it to Congress saying, look, we need these firewalls removed. We, it, we're, it's preventing us from doing our jobs. So I say all this to suggest this. Horowitz, although he's an Obama appointee, he seems to have a track record, Joe, of somebody who really does want to conscientiously do his job. Well, that's interesting. I personally don't know that much about him or his personal politics, his personal leanings or, or biases, um, but that's definitely something we should look into. The other interesting news of the day, NASA's Curiosity rover unearths building blocks in 3 billion-year-old organic matter on Mars. This is, uh, you know, again, this is what NASA does. They uh, have these missions, whether they're real or not, that's debatable uh, by uh, left other people to debate. We talked about this earlier. There's a, a, a group of people who believes that the Mars Curiosity rover is no more than a uh, rover on the island or on the uh, in Greenland, and they have used training footage of NASA training in this you know area of Greenland that looks exactly like Mars as their proof. And I just th- it's an interesting debate, but. Was there any doubt that there was, you know, uh, uh, building blocks for life in... I mean, this is the stupidest statement, and we're going to bring Honeybee on. She's on right now. But how stupid is NASA to say this? Okay, first of all, we're talking about space and the universe and our solar system, where obviously there had to be... Uh, life here on Earth is not the only, you know... Everything that... The, the, the carbon-based life forms. Our whole solar system is made out of the same materials. So why is it a surprise that Mars has some of the same building blocks that support life on it that Earth does? I just, <clears throat> I don't see the uh, the uh, discovery here. I don't see the uh, surprise. There, there, there's nothing here, in my opinion, at least. Nothing more than we already knew. But with that, let's bring on, Elite, uh, let's bring on uh, the honeybee. The honeybee. There we go. Melissa, it's great to have you on. Hey, what's going on, guys? I'm in mid-transit here. I'm at the airport. We're trying to figure out where the heck we're going, and I'm going back on a plane very shortly, so I'm really glad we got to chat for a moment. Um, how are you guys doing over there? Oh, we're doing great. Thank you for taking time out of your busy travel schedule to join us now. <laughs> uh, we'll just take a few moments of your time here this evening. Melissa Zachariah, the honeybee, go to at the honeybee underscore on Twitter, or Melissa Zachariah on YouTube. Uh, you are just coming back from a big uh, global premiere, a screening of A Child's Voice. I believe it was in Hollywood last night, correct? Yeah, we were in Westwood Village in L.A. We were at the Landmark Region Theater. It was unbelievable. It was a huge packed house. Uh, there were um, people from all over, all different walks of life. We even had the Asian American Hotel Association, Owners Association, come down in support of the movie uh, because they just rolled out this whole uh, training program for everyone that works in there, from the maids 
to the front desk people, to security, on dealing with human sex trafficking. Um, and they were just so impressed with John Paul Rice and Michael um, Edgar Michael Bravo for putting together this movie, this so amazing. This movie, I'm telling you guys, I can't wait for it to hit theaters. It was breathtaking. Um, just very, very true and real uh, to the point of the satanic ritual abuse. They go there. They really went there, and it was um, it, for us, you know, that, that research is every day. Um, you, you can fill in the blanks, um, but the way that they presented it, it was just so enlightening, and I really hope that a lot of people that were there, they, they got it, you know, and I think that's what John and Edgar are really trying to do. They're trying to bring Hollywood into, you know, the awareness part of it, um, and we, we were just so grateful to be there. Liz Crogan was there. Uh, we, we, we sat with her. We did an interview with her. Uh, Random Rants of Ryan came along as well. Uh, it was just really cool to be with the community. Uh, John Paul Rice hung out with us after the cast party. Um, just this amazing group of people. We met the cast, uh, the lead guy. Uh, he just was an amazing actor. He's 19 years old. Um, just loved, loved it. We felt like a part of the family, and we're all doing our own thing in our own way and trying to spread the awareness of this issue. And to see people in Hollywood creating art, you know, and using this medium of, of film to talk about the stuff that nobody wants to talk about, just really amazing. I was really happy to be a part of it. So um, that's my story. I am walking really fast in the airport right now, so I apologize if I'm a little winded. Uh, we have to go to another gate. So, Well, uh, that's great to hear that uh, it is an it, such an effective film. I mean, that's one of the things that when you de- when dealing with this, I guess it's a, a, up to the person who's creating it. But how far is too far, and, and what can you talk about? What can you show? What's too shocking? What's what's not going far enough? These are the uh, decisions that need to be made, and I, I think it's the best policy to not hold back on that kind of stuff. Whatever the truth is, Absolutely. however ugly it is, it's got to get out there. Absolutely, and you know we we really try to, especially with my research team. Um, we really we were looking at the worst cases possible where uh, kids are not um, alive anymore uh, that have been killed in CPS care that have been you know involved in these pedophile rings. Um, and people need to see the reality of it uh, and see the details. Unfortunately, for them to actually understand how prevalent this issue is in our society, and it's not just America. Um, it is nationwide, and it's even happening with the immigrant crisis. We see, you know, 1,500 missing children uh, coming over, you know, taken from their parents, and then these children are vulnerable, no identity, you know, they, they don't have a place to go, and they are just folded into the to the mix here. And now they're, they're, a lot of them are missing, and they won't, you know, nobody's looking for them in a sense. So, you know, there's many aspects of this issue and how, um, the vulnerable are targeted, and if there's more eyes on it, and as a community we're all looking into it, you know, I think we can fight it. I think we can do this together. But it's just something that it, a lot of people don't want to talk about because it's uncomfortable, because it's scary, it's ugly, and it's graphic. Um, but if we don't look at, this, at these things, and if we don't turn the light towards the darkness, we're never going to be able to expose it, and we're never going to be able to beat it. Um, yeah, it's just, just an important project. I'm so happy I met these guys. Um, this is how communities start, Next, networking starts. I just met a director who did Grindr. Um, he, he directed and starred in the movie Grindr on the plane with me. He went to a child's voice. Um, his name is Brandon um, Ruckdashel. 
and we were just talking like randomly about child sex trafficking and he's like yeah i just went to this movie premiere called the child's voice and i'm like this is god working right now like all these synchronicities and and crazy you know there's just signs that we're doing the right thing we're on the right path um, and, you know, we're just going to get stronger and stronger. If we stay with the path and truth and we stay with each other as a community, we will, we will succeed. So. Absolutely wonderful. Uh, Melissa Zachariah, you have safe travels, and it was great to, to get an update from you. And we will uh, talk with you soon. Thank you guys so much. I'm so sorry I'm, I'm rushing around. But no, it's all right. This is the life. It's, it's <laughs> awesome, and I, I always will take any chance to talk with you folks so anytime <laughs> oh, we, we so appreciate soon. it all right so that was uh, uh melissa zachariah joe i think most of our listeners and uh, viewers know melissa but she goes by the honeybee and she's been uh hagman regular for a good year year and a half now and uh i, I would encourage anyone who's not familiar with the honeybee to go back on uh, the hagman report youtube channel and just scroll through uh her numerous uh, appearances with uh, doug and joe primarily and uh, and educate yourselves because what makes Melissa unique is that she and her team actually travel around the country. And Joe, you know, they they on many occasions have worked with families to reunite them. They help find some of these displaced kids. You know, uh, Melissa uh, said uh, how the most vulnerable targets in our community are, and that's the truth. You know, these that's why we hammer this so hard on the Hagman Report because these are Joe. These are seriously vulnerable targets. Yeah, and we're not, uh, we're going to be coming back to this subject a little later in the show. Uh, but I want to get back to the NASA asteroid, or the asteroid, the NASA, uh, Mars Curiosity rover finding organic life. We got an email from, uh, Randy, and they say, uh, as I remember, Dr. He Ross of Reasons to Believe says that he believes if life is found, that would it have come from, uh, remnant of the Earth in, from an asteroid. Impact, and he says that could be probed by a DNA test. Well, that led me to an article that is published by Astronomy.com from December first, twenty seventeen. Organic molecules make up half of comet sixty-seven P. The Rosetta spacecraft collected more than thirty-five thousand dust grains from comet sixty-seven P to help determine its chemical composition. And this article goes on to talk about the uh, European Space Agency's Rosetta spacecraft, which landed on this comet, took samples, and found that half of the comet was made up by organic molecules. Uh, and it shows that the comet thus belongs to the most carbon-rich bodies we know in the solar system. When a comet approaches the sun, the frozen gases trapped beneath its surface quickly evaporate in the process calling outgassing. They often uh, dislodges tiny dust grains from the surface of the comet, which can then be carried into space by the escaping gas. And I think this is, uh, you know, much like what NASA is, their announcement today, uh, just to me, I don't know, people will say, oh, it's because you, you, you know, you, you're a religious believer. You, this is why you're, you're minimizing that NASA's discovery. That's not it at all. It's, it's just, um, you know, I just don't find it that fantastic that, a planet right next to ours that all formed the same way. Somehow it's surprising that there's the same elements used to create, you know, these same planets, even though they're thousands or millions of miles apart. I, I don't understand why it's so baffling that you would uh, think that 
you know, you can't find the same elements and components on, on both planets. Or even if you went as far as Pluto, that you wouldn't find some of those same uh, building blocks of life, as they call them, on that planet. I don't think it's a big discovery. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. No, I, I, Joe, I think you're on the right track. I see you've got your Bible over there. Uh, help, help me out. I know it's in the first couple verses of Genesis, but consider this. I think, I think what Joe is saying is, is, uh, certainly more accurate than not because we know that the hand of Almighty God pre-created the heavens and the right. earth. Okay. Right. And so in so doing, we know that God is a God of, of law and order. So um, by that definition, uh, I think we can we can um, hypothesize that he would use similar building blocks, Joe, whether it be you know uh, carbon, hydrocarbon, water, uh, and and the other essential basic elements. Really, essentially the, right. peri- the periodic table of the elements. You know. Yeah. No, and that, that's absolutely right. So, you know, and this is a tool that is is used by the the secular uh, mainstream, by the media, science, and everybody else who who hates. Christianity as some kind of proof that the Bible is a lie. And rest assured, in the next days and weeks, based on NASA's announcement today, you're going to see the articles coming in. You're going to see the the clips from pundits on TV using whatever NASA announced today and, and any other day as some kind of evidence that God doesn't exist, that we were not created beings. Instead, you know, got here through evolution. This is the uh, you know, science of the day. And one of the things, you know, when we think about how controlled and how, uh, full of, of lies our whole culture and history is, is composed of, you know, the educational system is just the opposite of, of what it does. It's there to control what you learn, not to help you learn things that you need in life. And that, you know, maybe it wasn't true a hundred years ago, but it's definitely true today when you look at the, now, literacy numbers when you look at the the level of competency in people today versus 10 20 30 50 100 years ago you see a tremendous decrease in the intellectual ability of the uh, western at least the american population and that is not done by accident and when you have the uh, ignorance when you have the uh, deception that's where a lot of these conflicts arise and people will just believe Whatever it is they're told that, that rings true to them, uh, without doing any research or, or due diligence. And it, it's that kind of society. And that's what the, uh, you know, internet, the TV and internet has really helped doing is, is not only, uh, controlling the information, but it's also shortening the attention span and comprehension skills of those people, uh, who are, are drowning in, in content. But people are going to use whatever stories of the day are to fit their own preconceived biases and exactly. and whatnot. Yeah, that's it. You know, Joe, that's exactly right, and that's a beautiful segue uh, to something that, that your father, Doug Hagman, and I were discussing briefly before we started the show tonight. Uh, listeners, we have a uh, – Alicia Powell is going to join us briefly, and we'll go into that later. I'm not going to go into it right now, but she's going to join us at 8 o'clock just for a couple minutes. There's some, some updates, and there's also some confusion on social media. But what? But the reason I'm bringing it up now, Joe, is because – uh, you may recall it was President Kennedy who did a couple of great speeches, and I used to have one of them tacked up on one of my set carts uh, at work back when I was with Warner Brothers. And he, he made a speech, and I'm probably going to butcher this, but I'll paraphrase the idea. He essentially said that when a when a government stops trusting its population, its populace, and then subsequently the populace stops trusting the government, 
one of the first things that happens is the flow of information becomes completely compromised because here's what happens, Joe. If, if you get to a place where the average, you know, the average American doesn't trust the government, state or federal, they don't trust the media, mainstream or maybe even new media, then what happens is in the era of social media, these people who are well-meaning will glom on to anything and everything that comes across Facebook and Twitter. And that gets us into a really dangerous environment. And yeah. pl- please hear me, listeners. Joe, I'm going to hand it back to you. But if if we don't do our due diligence, we discussed this on Monday evening with uh, Ashton Birdie. If we don't do our due diligence, then what happens is as much as in your heart you want to be part of the solution, you are inadvertently becoming part of the problem. And that's just want the ba- well, that's just what the bad guys want to have happen. Yeah, absolutely right. Uh, moving along here in the last five minutes of this opening segment, some of the other things that are on our radar, uh, the North Korea summit looks like it's a go. And we talked about the possibility, you know, Dennis Rodman, why is he getting involved in all this? Is this really necessary? Uh, is he working for other interests in the intelligence community like the CIA? Well, what's up with uh, Rudy Giuliani? This guy is turning into a train wreck, leaving some to ask, is he intentionally trying to damage the potential for this summit between North Korea, Kim Jong-un, and President Trump. And is he doing this on on, on purpose? Uh, he's said some things. It seems like he can't get away from the news interviews. Like Much like Michael Avenetti, the lawyer for Stormy Daniels, who's or on David Hogg. CNN every night, or David Hogg. And interestingly enough, that Stormy Daniels is now suing her former lawyer, Avenetti, uh, for for conspiring with Trump to to undermine her credibility, but what's with Giuliani um, telling everybody on a on a, a news interview that Kim Jong Un was on his hands and knees begging for President Trump to meet him? Wait, did he really? I yes. thought that was journalistic hyperbole. He no. really said yes. that. Yes. Oh man. Now let me... Michael Savage made the point that <laughs> in Asian cultures, it's an insult. To say somebody was begging and, and groveling, oh, at, big big time, Joe. And I uh, thought that was pretty interesting. This is this is this. There's two two kind of interesting points here. The first is uh, many many years ago, uh, I worked in a restaurant in San Francisco that was sold to a Japanese corporation, and we actually had a, a um, I guess you'd call it like a diplomatic relations coach or something like that came in. Oh yeah, yeah. And coached the staff. And here, here's a really good example, listeners. Uh, as an American male. If you cross your legs uh, in either fashion uh, in front of a Japanese man or woman, but particularly a Japanese man, that's highly offensive. That's almost yeah. like flipping the bird. I think in like Turkey, if you show the bottom of your feet too, that's like the same. It's some <laughs> weird uh, form of disrespect. There, there are a lot of uh, interesting behaviors in in foreign cultures that you know many Americans are not aware of. And, uh, you know, what Giuliani said was basically a personal insult against Kim Jong-un, especially after this was already called off once and then put back together. The question that is being asked is Rudy Giuliani uh, putting the North Korea summit at risk and where what what are his real true loyalties? Should he uh, just go quietly into the night? Should the president get rid of him? And that's a, a question that... I would say yes, absolutely. Uh, Giuliani needs to go. Uh, there's many others on on the administration yeah, that need to go. What is what is the president's strategy with with Giuliani? Or, or maybe this is just one of those moments where we're not playing five D chess. Or, or Joe, are we up to six D chess by now? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I think he's uh, <laughs> learning as he goes. And 
You know, when you have the whole deep state apparatus pretty much working against you and to undermine you, it can't be easy. So I'd rather him get it right. I'd rather him go through, uh, you know, I'd rather that those positions be a revolving door until you get the right person in, in the right uh, location. And one of the examples of that, and I just saw it flash on my screen here, uh, what President Trump did with the uh, vaccine industry, he put one of the Kennedy Juniors in there, who's a big anti-vaccination uh, guy, and oh, I gotta Robert, find this Robert here. Robert Kennedy Jr. Yeah, is yeah. a big uh, he put him in. Guy. He put him ahead. Uh, put him as the head of some organization that oversees vaccines, and I gotta find the uh, article again here. But well, while you look for it, let me just throw this in quickly on the Giuliani thing. Uh, I'm I'm looking for the article right now, but it was up this morning, and the the, the headline, I kid you not, Joe, was uh, Rudy Giuliani on video. Uh, dancing to EDM, which is electronic dance music, and waving a napkin over his head. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to find the article right now. Well, yeah, I mean, Giuliani, like I said, it's a, it's a train wreck. I don't know how many people have watched some of the openings for Saturday Night Live over the last few weeks when they uh, make fun of Giuliani. They put him in all these, uh, making these weird hand symbols and crossing his arms funny, looking all awkward and uncomfortable. Kind of like he has looked on some of those TV appearances. And, again, is he doing more harm than good? Absolutely he is. You want somebody who's not jumping in front of the, the cameras, not constantly running their mouth about things that are, uh, not, that don't even really pertain to them. Putting, you know, saying things like, uh, the, he said a few weeks ago, uh, well, who knows how many other women, uh, Michael Cohen's paid off for Donald Trump or, and all, all this, there's so many examples of more harm than good. It's like Steve Bannon, who was his own worst enemy, uh, in oh, the end. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Or maybe even, maybe even Mooch. So Scaramucci. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know, but with the president is, uh, you know, he, he's got to make these decisions. He's got to decide if he wants this kind of risk, uh, you know, uh, with the, the personnel he has and, to see his agenda getting pushed through, you're going to need people who believe in it to push it through. And is Giuliani one of those people? I don't really believe so. He seems uh, of the elitist, more elitist type mindset. But I don't know. We're going to continue this discussion on the other side. When we come back, we're going to uh, have another segment of news and Alicia Powell, Pastor Mike Spaulding, Keith Hansen, and more. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back to this edition of the Hagman Report. I'm going to get into something a little interesting here that caught my attention just before the show. What is going on with rubbing of the orb in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia? I don't know how many people have seen this. It hasn't really hit the American news, at least from what I've seen. Benjamin Netanyahu and the French President Macron are seen together on a video. Did How many people remember... President Trump's travels to Saudi Arabia, where he is seen with uh, a few people touching this glowing ball. Well, there's video out there today of Netanyahu and Macron together rubbing this orb. And I guess a little background from the New York Times on what this orb is. 
The real meaning of the sphere had little to do with the occult. The occasion was the opening of a new global center for combating extremist ideology based in Riyadh. And the orb was, in fact, a translucent globe with the world's waters represented in light gray and the continents in black. Its purpose appeared to be decorative. But is it decorative, I'm asking, because what is with the images of watching all these world leaders come and, and put their hands on and stare into this weird orb, whatever it is? I, I don't know. It just seems very strange to me. So, uh, and I don't even know what they were doing there uh, together, what Netanyahu and, and Macron were doing. Uh, I haven't got that far into the story. I just saw a uh, clip from a, a YouTube video. But it's definitely weird either way, and uh, I'm going to do a little bit more digging on, on what this orb is. I know, obviously, they have a story for what they say it is. Anytime the mainstream media tries to describe something that has those evil intentions behind it, they'll never admit as much. So I don't expect to, you know, read in the USA Today of how this uh, orb has this, you know, occult symbology behind it. But I'm sure in some respect it's there, and I just want to better understand what it is these people are doing touching this orb uh and peter chalka thank you for for sending me an email i I made a uh, mistake stormy daniels is not suing michael avenatti he is she is suing her former attorney keith davidson and he sent me an article to cnn from uh, the six stormy daniels new lawsuit so had to correct that i must have read that wrong when i read it the other day uh, switching gears here, this is from the Washington Times, and this, you know, we see headlines like this a lot, and they don't get paid much attention here in America because everybody seems to be uh, complacent and happy. Human rights disaster, China's persecution of Christians at highest levels since Mao. Churches shuttered or razed completely, Bibles confiscated, and believers sent to re-education camps. Watchdog groups say the persecution of Christians and other religious minorities in China is at its most intense since the Cultural Revolution as churches are shuttered, Bibles confiscated, and believers arrested at rates not seen in decades. Evidence of the crackdown was in plain view this week when police raided Early Rain Covenant Church, an underground parish in the southwestern uh, Providence, to preempt a memorial service commemorating the 29th anniversary of the Tiananmen Square massacre of anti-government protesters. According to China Aid, an advocacy group that documents human rights abuses in the communist nation, 17 people were violently detained, including Pastor Wang Yi and his wife, who attempted to block the door. And it goes on, the article goes on from there, for Christians alone. Last year we documented persecution against 1,265 churches, with the number of people persecuted over 223,000, and that's just the tip of the iceberg, Mr. Fu said. In 2016, there were 762 cases of persecution, according to our documentation, with the number of people persecuted at 48,000. It really is almost five times as much. Now, why is this important? Uh, It says, in spite of the Christian persecution, comes as critics say, politics and religious freedoms have been curtailed under the leadership of President Xi, who... Fu said will go down in history as a sort of Chairman Mao Jr. who carried out little little cultural revolution. There, and why is this important? Because we see the communist system of government and the, the uh, totalitarian aspects of the communist system has always 
persecuted the religious beliefs and the people who believe in them just because of the direct threat that they pose to the ideology of communism where the government wants total control, wants that worship and attention heaped onto itself rather than some kind of outside uh, you know, creator who has the power to grant you salvation. That's a no-no. And, and that's what the uh, left, that's the kind of system the left wants to institute here. You know, this push for tolerance and diversity and all this is just uh, a, a mask to implement a socialist, communist type government system here in America. And it is, it, you know, we talk about it all the time. All the signs are there from the controlled and directed economy to uh, the ideology creeping in through the mainstream and now is, you know, the establishment ideology. All the, all the indicators are there. And it is, seems like we are moving in that direction. So just something to keep an eye out as uh, you're not going to probably see reports of this or hear it in, in your churches. But again, persecution in China is at an all-time high, uh, not all-time high, at its highest levels since Mao, according to these reports. So that one's up on the Washington Times. You know, Joe, it, it's interesting because we hear regularly from, from guests or publicists or just any, any of the num- numerous people we do business with that whereas persecution in China is at an all-time high, correct me if I'm wrong, but Iran and China per capita are the two most explosive countries for uh, Christian growth as well. Yeah. Yeah, and um, also, uh, I want to point this out too, because this fits exactly right in there. This is from the Western Journal. Secret genocide. Thousands of Myanmar Christians killed Pregnant women are raped. Christians are being slaughtered in Myanmar, and the country's government is doing its best to hide this fact from the world, a recent investigative report revealed. Anyways, this goes back to the Christian Post. It says the area is hidden from much of the world as the Buddhist majority. Myanmar has denied journalists and aid agencies access to the region. Uh, So here you have, uh, they say, over 700,000 people have been forced to flee Bangladesh in the face of what the United Nations is calling a textbook example of ethnic cleansing against the region's uh, Muslims and Christians. So, very interesting here. Uh, I want to see a report compiled, a few reports compiled, on the progression of of religious persecution in the world and how much it has increased in the last 10, 20 years. Uh, I'm sure it is increasing. Uh, Each year that goes by, it seems to be more and more prevalent than ever before. And it's uh, a concerning fact that seems to be far away from our uh, how it's going to affect our daily lives. But in reality, it is creeping its way here. I don't know. You know, Joe, uh, uh, as the title of our show indicates tonight, and we'll get into this as the show moves forward, uh, the Vatican, as Joe uh, reported last night, the Vatican will have a presence at this year's Bilderberg, which is in Italy. And then I also wrote, uh, and while Venezuela is at the gates of hell, uh, and this is uh, just about a year old, Joe, but it's from CBN, CBN News. Um, Aspiring dictator inflicts chaos on Venezuela. Christians call for godly solutions. And this is interesting because we hear so much about Venezuela, much as you said right now about Myanmar and, and China, mm-hmm. etc. But it says here, a Venezuelan president, Nicolas Maduro, is insisting he will proceed with plans to hold an assembly to rewrite the country's constitution. Skipping down a little bit. The country's evangelical Christians are speaking out, asking God to restore unity and prosperity to the nation. Opposition's parties say a constitutional assembly is just an attempt by the socialist president 
to impose a dictatorship in Venezuela. Uh, the, the crisis has, I'm skipping down, listeners, just be advised. The crisis has motivated Venezuela's churches to action. Uh, leading up to the vote, now this is that vote last year that was just a, a dog and pony show. Leading up to the vote, public plazas around the nation echoed with the prayers of Christians. Quote, I believe the church has awakened to how difficult the Venezuelan situation is. And that is, each of us Christians needs to become active in this process of change, end quote, explained Hugo, Hugo Diaz of the Movement for the Defense of the Constitution. Uh, quote, you can see joy in the streets. You can see the desire for people for a change. And above all, we see the active presence of the Christian church in Venezuela, end quote. Interesting, Joe, different perspective here that uh, Christians, it sounds like at least from this article, again, uh, from last July, cbn.com uh, it sounds like maybe they're getting the message down there to one degree or another that so many of our guests are expounding up here yeah and the uh what what's going on in venezuela as we've been reporting on for a long time now just continues to to get worse and we see that at some point there there has to be a pushback from the society against this uh corrupt government as uh, there was just a a bogus re-election of the leader and there's an article up on up on the Drudge Report. Venezuela hell, world's most dangerous country. It's from the Miami Herald. Is Venezuela the world's most deadliest country? Its residents think so. Venezuela perceived their country to be the most dangerous place on the planet in 2017. Worse than war-torn nations, failed states, and global trouble spots. Its annual 2018 Global Law and Order Index, Gallup found Venezuela distrusted their police, felt unsafe walking at night, and had been robbed or assaulted at an alarming rate compared to the rest of the world. Well, how many times have they uh, walked around the streets in New York City or San Francisco at 2 in the morning? It sounds like uh, every city in, in America. The country had a law and order score of 44 in its Gallup's survey, putting it dead last among 140 nations behind Afghanistan, Libya, South Africa, for the second year in a row. It is at the top of the globalists, as the once wealthy nation, faced broad economic, political, and social collapse. But what will bring them out of the collapse? That's what the real question is. And how can people who have been, you know, basically starving for a year uh, deal with this without freaking out and, you know, taking well, back control? That's, Joe, you just posed really the question of the day when we look at Venezuela. And uh, by the way, if our friend down in Caracas, we have a friend of the show, I've mm -hmm. actually talked to him before. Uh, his initials are A.W. Uh, if you're listening in Caracas this evening, God bless you, sir. And it was really nice to have that conversation with you uh, uh, late last year. Uh, but this is from Forbes, Joe, dated May 31st of this year, 2018. On May 30th, the writer, who is Steve uh, Hanky or Honky, says, On May 30th, I accurately measured Venezuela's annual inflation rate, and for the first time, it breached 25,000%. So... Yeah. What, uh, at that point, you're off in cuckoo land. I mean, that's, that's, um, that is, uh, inflation way beyond what the Weimar Republic experienced in Germany, uh, in the pre-Hitler, Hitlerian World War, post-World War One era. So, Joe, you pose the question, and the only thing I can think of is what the, is what the Israelites did under Hebraic law. And of course, we've had Jonathan Kahn on several times, and he's talked about it, but every seventh year was the year of Shemitah where you were to, uh, if you owed a debt, you were to pay the debt, and this is the trick, if you had a debt owed to you, 
you were supposed to forgive the debt. And that, and in that same year, it was a time to focus on worshiping God, uh, repenting for your sins, and focusing on your family, and letting your fields lie fallow. And I find that particularly interesting because modern agricultural science indicates that the soil gets quote unquote used up. Well, they didn't have the science to support it back then, but they had they had the word of God as handed down through Moses and Aaron and instructing them to let the fields lie fallow, let that soil regenerate. Yeah. And then of course every seven Shemitahs, so seven times seven is the year of Jubilee, where across the entire land of Israel all debts would be forgiven. So Joe, the only way out for Venezuela is a massive revival uh, and then a jubilee type scenario. Yeah, it's very interesting. And you know, we look at our own economic system, and we we need some kind of debt forgiveness uh, from this debt based economy. But we're too greedy. That's the we, problem. We talked about this on the Daily Show. The uh, I think it's the Athenian Constitution uh, that is written it by the, it was the Dialogues of Aristotle that you were talking about. Yeah, written about. by Aristotle. I got it right here. And and it talks about the yeah, the Athenian constitution by Aristotle. Part six says as soon as he was at the head of affairs, Solon liberated the people once and for all by prohibiting all loans on the security of the debtor's person. In addition, he made laws which he cancelled all debts, public and private. This measure is commonly referred to, as you said, the the Shemitah, but they have a different word for it. Uh the Jubilee uh, but since thereby the people had their loads removed from them. And then it goes on to, to talk about um, how people became entangled again into the yokes of economic bondage. But true freedom is economic freedom. We don't have that in this country, and that is a huge problem. But, uh, you know, and, and how, if at all, will we get out of that without a huge uh, change and, and collapse and, and calamity. I don't see how that happens. It, it, it's a recipe for disaster. Joe, we talked about this today on The Daily Show. And, and by the way, listeners, if, if you want to kind of just kick back and relax and, and get a little break from the news, uh, the Hagman Daily Show today was a lot of fun. Uh, what did we title it, Joe? A, a, a converse, a cup of coffee conversation. Mm-hmm. Is that it? Mm-hmm. Uh, and Joe's posting that up on YouTube. You can also find it at HagmanReport.com. Just go over to the uh, far left up at the toolbar and click on new shows scroll down and look for that title uh, and uh, and you'll enjoy the conversation we had because we covered a broad range of topics but Joe this is the second time today that you've quoted the Athenian lawmaker Solon well, I just found that you know so interesting and it, the reason I'm reading this is that the Atlantis and the, all this stuff I wonder how much of that was just a, a forecast of America because so much of it is similar to what Ooh. was set up in a, in America. That's, a, that's an interesting that's like a foreshadow. But anyway, go well, ahead. Qu- quickly, just on the Solon thing, um, we, I mentioned JFK's uh, uh, famous, and, and I think, Joe, you and I agree, his, his most important speech, the, the Secret Society speech. Uh, and, and he says in about the uh, eighth or tenth paragraph down, this is President Kennedy in 1962, quote, without debate, Without criticism, no administration and no country can succeed, and no public can survive. That is why the Athenian lawmaker Solon decreed it a crime for any for any citizen to shrink from controversy. Yep. And so, Joe, are are we living in a land? Is that I mean, aside from the disregard of the Lord God Almighty, are we living in a land where people are essentially? I mean, was JFK prescient in, in pointing this out? Have we become a a people who are so self-absorbed in such a selfie type society <laughs> that we're looking for a little thumbs up on the internet and we have shrunk from controversy? Well, it, it's uh, 
you know, one of the Kennedy, uh, and we think this is, I think this is a reason why he was killed because of uh, his willingness to talk about these things, to uh, break, you know, talking about breaking up the the CIA, uh, you know, and we know the influence that these secretive groups, their their hidden agendas have. I mean, look, that we talked about this yesterday. The Bilderbergers, the you know, controllers of the world, the planners of the future, are meeting uh, today and tomorrow, I believe. In uh, I forget where they're even meeting, but it's, it's irrelevant. And these people believe, you know, top levels of politics, economy, industry, uh, banking, and they believe that they uh, literally can can control the future and map that out. And they scheme and plot on on ways to do that. And you know, they're meeting today. So what he talked about, uh, in what was talked about even in administrations before him, was the ability of uh, you know these these secretive groups for whatever reason and their hidden agendas to become uh, so powerful through the military media complex that they would in turn uh, you know turn around and destroy the american way of life and they've effectively done that we just haven't seen the consequences of all the actions yet who would have thought joe just a couple of years ago even during the lifetime of the hagman report this is from while you were speaking i jumped over to businessinsider.com businessinsider.com okay and here it is uh, the headline the secretive i mean it's on businessinsider.com it has over 2 million views mm-hmm. the secretive bilderberg group is meeting in italy this weekend and the rise of populism is at the top of their agenda now joe commented on this last night but here's a quick takeaway uh, the annual bilderberg meeting is happening in turin which is in italy okay. from june 7th to june 10th the powerful politicians financiers and ceos from europe and north america are attending Discussions are held under the Chatham House rule. I believe that goes back to ancient China, uh, which means people can't be identified by what they say. Participants are banned from, from revealing what was discussed, and very few details are ever made public. Populism is at the top of this year's agenda, having moved from eighth place last year. And this is the best part. See the full agenda below. And then <laughs> yeah. the article kicks off from there. So, so Joe... Uh, I mean, these people are perfect, yeah, and it. they're the, they're masterful when it comes to this type of, of stuff. And and uh, Peter Chauka emailed last night when we talked about this. The the true power, I, I believe, is you know in these other groups, the trilateral trilateral commission, the CFR, and the things like the the Bohemian Groves and whatnot. But when they have, I guess maybe after it got exposed for what it was, it became almost like a game to these people where yeah we're going to call it secretive but we're going to release our agendas and it, it it's a big game it's a dog and pony show and uh you know the that you can't ever depend on the press or the world to give you uh, you know the the truth they 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 are involved in this conspiracy against the uh, citizens of this country just as much as the people who carry it out uh they are the people they're they're the face of it and you can't expect these people to uh, uh, be honest about this stuff. I mean, if you remember just not too long ago, when in 2008 election, John, you mentioned this, when Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama disappeared and, you know, they went to Bilderberg and then everybody said, oh, you know, the, the decision was made there. I mean, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, but if it, if everything was going on there the way that it's being presented, the media would not cover it. It's just as simple as that. Bingo. So, uh, that's my problem with the, with what has, I, I think that maybe what once was uh, a secretive operation was used as a, as a outlet to, to push disinformation and, 
uh, false secret agendas. Yes. But, yeah. Well, I'll tell you, listeners, one thing you learn pretty quick uh, if you if you have opportunity to spend time with Doug and Joe is. Uh, these guys have got a nose for this type thing. They're, they, they, if somebody's pulling a bait and switch, which is basically what you're talking about here, Joe. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the, the Hagmans are, are more often than not, they're, they're going to nail you. But uh, just real quick, uh, as we kind of uh, move forward from the Bilderberg topic, uh, and I do want to say a quick thank you personally to Peter Barry Chalka as well. Um, go to HagmanReport.com. He put up, Joe. I don't know if you read it, but he put up a really nice piece. Uh, it was a year ago yesterday that he first joined the Hagman Report and ultimately moved into his. Uh, once a week hourly slot, third uh, third hour on Monday. So if folks want to read that, I'd recommend it. A lot of Peter's articles are linked there. And by the way, he's written 120 articles for the Hagman Report. Can you believe that? That's 120 awesome. articles. But real quick, back to Bilderberg. I want to just give a, a shout out, if you will, to one of the original Bilderberg investigators without whom we wouldn't probably be having this conversation. And that, of course, is James P. Tucker Jr. Uh, he was, uh, he was associated with InfoWars in as much as he was on a lot. Uh, he died at the age of 78 back on, uh, December, well, let's see, I'm sorry, uh, April 26th of 2013. And he was the author of Jim Tucker's Bilderberg Diary. Uh, you can find this article at AmericanFreePress.net from April 27th, 2013. But, <clears throat> excuse me, I apologize. Jim Tucker, Joe, is, is one of those pioneers who went before us, like a, like a, mm-hmm. a Bill Cooper or even Steve Quayle. Uh, so again, that's Jim Tucker's Bilderberg Diary. That's the title of the book. It's linked in the article. And you'll understand what Joe's talking about because back when Mr. Tucker was doing his investigation, the Bilderberg group was kind of like the NSA 15 years ago. It was total conspiracy coop town. There's no such thing. And go take a ride in your black helicopter. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, either way, these people are going to, uh, They'll find places away from the the limelight. I mean, look at to the extent. Look at the Strauch page text messages. Look at the extent that these people went to set up uh, uh, places where they would would happen to run into these judges who uh, you know dealt with the uh, the unmasking and whatnot. I mean, they set up whole parties and and uh, uh, dinners. You know, invited all these different people to invite other people just to to get a word uh, above suspicion. You know, at a meeting, just for cover. I mean, that, that's the lengths that one FBI or two FBI agents or three or four or whatever uh, went to, just to happen to run into a judge to tell them what they wanted to outside of prying ears. How much further will people go who are driven by you know the the greed and and the pride and um, and have aspirations of world domination? I mean, it's been going on since uh, the the times of the medieval times. And and until today, it's no different. If anything, it's become more centralized in its control, and more able to uh, carry out that uh, agenda in in secret. Especially in the face of all the uh, news and, and distractions in the entertainment industry, people are less and less focused on on the one on one thing or one train of thought, and and don't have the again the attention span to get into some of this stuff. But let's end the segment on a good note. I came across this article as we uh, were in the last segment, uh, in Turkey, Turks look to the alternative media as the news landscape shrinks. Istanbul, Turkey. It's not an obvious location for a media organization, a gritty area dominated by car repair workshops in the back streets of Istanbul. There's no sign outside, just a photocopied sheet of paper pinned to the door requesting silence. Broadcast in progress. Welcome to the headquarters of the Turkish broadcaster, 
Metascope, an almost three-year-old alternative voice in an increasingly constricted media landscape in Turkey, and an example of what new media can offer even in tough circumstances. And this goes on to describe the, uh, the, the studio. It says the door swings open, revealing surprisingly standard television studio with a desk and colored background, a team of young editors glued to their laptops around a large table, planning and preparing for the next hey, that, broadcast. That sounds kind of familiar. <laughs> yeah, but what's interesting about this article is that the uh, Turkish journalists, uh, they don't broadcast on the standard TV and, and satellite networks, but rather, uh, like the new media, they do so on social media through Facebook, YouTube, and Periscope. Every weekday, it presents several hours of de- live debate from voices across the political spectrum, uh, freedom increasingly absent from the major news channels in Turkey under the rule of Erdogan. No other channels left. And actually, this uh, the news organization was awarded the Free Media Pioneer Award by the International Press Institute in 2016. But this whole article just shows you the changing landscape of the media environment. Even in Turkey, they're saying, we need this alternative media because our media, there's no room left. The mainstream media will not let us in. Uh, they're dominating this space. They're controlling the message, so we're taking it uh, to the social media. And people and viewers who are frustrated with the way the mainstream media is presented have an outlet uh, to hear their voices being heard. So very interesting. It's not just uh, you know happening uh, in America or in Europe. It's happening all across the world, even in Turkey. When we come back, Alicia Powell followed by Mike Spaulding in the next segment. Don't go anywhere. Thursday edition of the Hagman Report on this June seventh, twenty eighteen. We are joined by Alicia Powell. She, we, we had a very social media and and uh, the story was blowing up about what's going on in Arizona, and we're gonna kind of update you on that. Alicia is uh, working hard on this story, and we're gonna kind of sift through what this new information means. Uh, it's pretty interesting, but John, I know you got somewhere you want to go. Well, I just, this is from Doug Hagman. Uh, Alicia will bring you on in just a sec. Uh, Doug, you know, with all of his years as a private investigator and Joe too, we, we, we spent some time, you know, framing this to make sure that we bring all of you listeners the facts and we don't go running amok into something that may stir your passions. It may get you tuned up, but we need to stick with the facts here. And so these are questions that I would encourage our listeners to to think about, and these come from the desk of Doug Hagman, when you look at all of the craziness that's blowing up all over social media, my social media included. Okay, Doug said, first of all, murders are handled at the local jurisdiction level. That's number one, with very few exceptions. For example, if this, if these human remains, if they are in fact human remains, were found on BLM land, then the feds could potentially be involved. Here are the questions that you want to ask yourself, listeners, as you yourselves become internet sleuths on this story in Tucson. Number one, vets on patrol, how did they find the human remains? Number two, did they dig for them at all? And and then if, if, if they did, that changes the story. Number three, what did vets on patrol or the ranchers, the private citizens that are in part of the story, what did they do immediately after finding the human remains? Because as Doug said, 
If you choose to do a Facebook live stream, having found human remains before you contact law enforcement, you are tampering with a crime scene and or evidence. And that's a big time crime. And Doug said, Doug said, quote, the last, or he said, uh, law enforcement doesn't take kindly to crime scene or evidence tampering. Now we're almost finished with this bullet point list here. Uh, Okay, if this story is legitimate, and we've got Alicia here to help us figure out, if this is legitimate, if human remains have been found and it's somehow tied into this, then why is law enforcement not out there right now unrolling the crime scene tape? Uh, and then, of course, if this is legitimate, the story, the question we all need to ask ourselves, including all of us here at Hagman Report, is if this is legitimate, then why are vets on patrol messing with an active crime scene? And then lastly, and this is maybe the most important, is I don't mean any disrespect toward Lewis Arthur or any of the other members of Vets on Patrol. However, they are actively calling on Facebook for patriots and yeah. veterans to join them yeah. in this very contentious area. And I heard him say on your Facebook Live, Joe, that, that, that we need people down here. We need campers and we need veterans. Hey, and we bring need... your camping equipment. Okay, you know what? I'm going to just stop here, Joe. I'm going to hand it to you. But you know what? This sounds like we're going the wrong direction. Well, either way, let's, uh, Alicia Powell from a Gateway Pundit is with us. Uh, she's been uh, tracking and, and covering this story, uh, throughout the afternoon and we talked to her a little bit before the show. Alicia, what do we know so far? What's going on in this Tucson, Arizona area of, uh, great suspicion? Well, where I left off on the Veterans on Patrol Facebook Live page, which is actually how I've been following the story from the beginning, the veteran of I believe his name is Lewis uh, Lewis Myers. He has been documenting what's been going on since he encountered the camp last Tuesday. And so he was uh, 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 apparently uh, contacted by a rancher or someone who lived in the vicinity, a young man named Danny. And Danny claimed he found a dead body of a child, a corpse, and uh he found a, a human skull that's about the uh, that looks like it was from one from the age of nine years old to fourteen years old. Now Danny contacted border patrol agents, and the border patrol agents, when they showed up, uh, they're like, "Well, why don't you just call the sheriff's department?" And Danny says, "Well, can you call the sheriff's department for us?" And the 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 border patrol is like, "Yeah, no, we're not going to do that." So that that was weird. He thought it was weird. They talk about how strange that is in the Facebook Live video, which you can see streaming on their page on Veterans on. Uh, I, I believe the Facebook page is uh, I, I, it's Pulaski something. I can give you a link. You can find the link in my article to their page. But um, so the other thing about this, so they did, they did contact the sheriff's department to find, to go and check out the scene. The sheriff, um, there's an encounter with the veterans and the civilians on the Facebook live stream. And uh, apparently the, 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 the police couldn't find exactly where the, 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 the corpse was located and when they all were, eventually they did. So I don't think the evidence was tampered with. It's just documented and recorded. You can see that there was actually a child's skull. I didn't see the, the 40 well, I minutes the I watched. I didn't see the body. I didn't see the body. I didn't see the corpse. But, um, you know, you would say, well, this is along the border of Mexico. There's lots of crime. There's lots of, um, we, there is trafficking going on. Does it mean it's going on in these camps? Well, the, the veteran Myers, he says that there's these jugs that led him to find a second camp. 
Um, and they also were surrounded in the vicinity of where these skulls were, uh, the, the skull, excuse me. And, um, these are like white or black jugs that are like around the bushes. And they, if you follow them, they lead you to another site, another campsite where the more bizarre stuff is. Um, you literally have to, I'm not in Arizona. There's no reporters alongside him find, or, or investigating the scene. The police, the fact that the police though, the way they're treating this case immediately just dismissing it as a crime scene and there's actual, I mean, the, the, the skull that was found there, it, it still has a, a smell. It smells like a rotting corpse is what, what they all described. So between that and the rape trees and the bunker underground, it really just begs the question, why isn't there, why don't we see detectives? Why don't we see something going on? I think that, you know, they'd be more effective to raid the place. Now whoever is there potentially, allegedly trafficking ch small children, they're not going to go back there now. We're not going to bust them and find out what's going on on some ex, uh, right. some ex land property. So, but I thought maybe the story would be dead by today, and now we find that there's human remains in the vicinity of this, this encampment. Well, Alicia, one of the things I did notice from uh, the video that was originally put out and a picture that ha is, is pa being passed around is that it, the, whatever that, that skull is, uh, was actually moved on, and the video was on its side, and then on a picture that was, is being on, passed around on Facebook, it's, uh, sitting upright. So, somebody moved it, in some respect, either for the purposes of taking pictures and whatnot. But from what we understand, law enforcement, this is such a tough, uh, aspect of the story because we were, you know, basically programmed to trust law enforcement. That they're all good people, all with the good agendas and, uh, this is not the case in this country, unfortunately. And when you see people like who is the mayor of, of this uh, Tucson, Arizona, one of the Rothschilds, and you see the extent of the, the problem with the child pedophilia and human tra trafficking, that it goes to the highest levels of, of government and, and law enforcement included. Uh, if that truly is going on, you can see the reluctance of why law enforcement would not get involved. And as my, my dad said here off air, if you don't see that crime scene tape going up and you don't see detectives there, uh, you know, you can bet that there, there might not be anything there. But at the same time, you might, you can bet that they could be covering something up. You just don't know. But without well, that, I mean. And we can't jump to conclusions and go down a rabbit hole and uh, pinpoint Clinton's face to CMAX yeah. and the, the skull. Like, we don't want to do that. We don't want to do what we're being accused of, uh, of right. being conspiracy theorists. And we, we, we lose all credibility when we do that. And as a journalist, you want to just make those jumps. You want to make those leaps. We don't like Hillary Clinton. We're conservatives. We're not communists. But at the same time, we'll just report what is. And what there is there are rape trees. I mean, I think that's indisputable. I don't see any other reason why you'd have anything... Uh, you to try to attach, it looks like uh, wrist restraints on trees. What else could that be? I don't really see any, I mean, I don't need anyone to explain to me, the police or the media or any politician to tell me that that bunker underground is not, that that, that that's weird, that's strange. There's yeah. no good reason for that to be there. It's expensive to have this set up. Why are there jugs that are going from one place to the next. There's obviously sex trafficking going on. Who knows who's involved to what extent, but everyone's, the fact is that we have the whole country able to 
keep bringing attention to this through Twitter and Facebook, albeit they're run by leftists. We still can use these tools to keep each other informed. And I'm just getting tips from, you know, regular American folks who want to know what's going on. We can't, we know, we now know, at least from this incident, incident, incidents, we cannot trust, you know, law enforcement to a large degree. After we see the, the stuff coming with Comey and McCabe and the FBI, I think we all have a, a whole new perception of law enforcement, even though they're, you know, they're the directors. But, well, that's a, oh, sorry, go ahead, Alicia. Yeah, and then we can't trust the media. There's no reporters. Like what? Three reporters in Arizona that have brought us this story. Fox News can't even pick up whatever the local affiliate in Arizona did. No one wants to touch it. No, everyone's afraid to be just report what is. We don't need to jump to conclusions. There you go. No, well, you know, Alicia. Um, uh, two things. First of all, uh, we do have permission to make our listeners aware, uh, and of course, all of the the readers over at the Gateway Pundit who are following your articles on this. Uh, we did have an opportunity just for a moment or two to speak with uh, Craig Sawman Sawyer, uh, Hagman Report favorite, the founder of Vets for Child Rescue. That's Vets, the numeral for childrescue.org. And Alicia, Craig did say that Vets for Child Rescue will be meeting with local law enforcement tomorrow. And because we're blessed with a great relationship with those, uh, with all of those people, uh, we will get information following that meeting, at least in as much as it's appropriate to give to the media. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention quickly, Alicia, before we, uh, unfortunately, we have limited time with you tonight, uh, we also have permission to discuss. Now, you've got a big exclusive coming tomorrow. Is that correct? Yeah, I'm going to actually speak to Craig Sawman Sawyer tomorrow, and I'm going to ask him how how it's going with this Veterans for Child Rescue because he claims he's been trying to that that two groups have trying to derail him have tried to derail him his efforts in ending and stopping and busting child sex traffickers and that is the Muslim Brotherhood and the Democrat Party so let's I want to find out how and I want to I don't know much about child sex trafficking I study politics and I land upon this stuff uh, during the election with Pizzagate allegations and during you know stuff like this on Twitter and if this is going on, this is deplorable. This is this is you can't let this happen. And I hope he can shed some light to what the extent it is going on. And I'll be talking with him tomorrow about it. And he'll also give us an update on what he saw. Maybe today he might go back to the camp, or maybe he'll investigate these human remains that were found and um, talk about what Contraland is. It's actually he says it's going to be a Netflix uh, yeah. production, and it's going to come out in the winter. So. That yeah, we're, be interesting. we're really looking forward to that. And we're, we're looking forward to your interview with him and the uh, report that you put out. Alicia Powell with the Gateway Pundit. Uh, watch the Gateway Pundit and, and check for yes. her latest report. Please, everyone, go to the Gateway Pundit website and do, don't wait for our stories to appear in your Facebook news feed because they're not going to. We're being, we're being uh, strategically censored. Yeah. So go to thegatewaypundit.com if you... Uh, want to keep up with our work over there absolutely and great work alicia one of the next times we have you on we got to talk about that censorship on facebook because i've seen some metrics that show that the huge drop-off that gateway pundit and other conservative media had received as far as uh, attention that they were getting before and after something absolutely. switched there breitbart and, and gateway pundit are hit the hardest according yeah. to the study but breitbart's a much bigger production than the gateway pundit i mean my boss, Jim Hoft, basically worked at Gateway Pundit by himself. So, I mean, you've got the, 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 the Facebook 
leftist uh, monopoly over there, corporation. They're filtering out Breitbart, but they're also just attacking one guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now we have a team, but it was just him for many years. So it's just, what do you say? What well, we'll see what happens. <laughs> Things are in well, the work. Fight back. Well, Alicia, uh, we we really appreciate you checking in this evening. Follow Alicia on Twitter at Alicia uh, underscore Pow. That's P O W E. And I'll just drop this on our listeners. Uh, uh, I did communicate with Jim Hoff, the founder of Gateway Pundit. Uh, and his brother, Joe Hoff, who has been a guest on the Hagman Report previously. Joe, he's going to join your father and yourself uh, one night next week. So Joe Great. Hoff from the Gateway Pundit. Of course, Alicia Powell. Uh, Alicia, we all love you here at the studio. Hagman Report favorite, regular contributor. Uh, Alicia, have a wonderful evening. Don't let all this grim stuff get to you too much. And we'll be looking forward to that interview and that article about your uh, visit with Craig Sawman Sawyer. Thank you, guys. Have a great night. You too. Again, Alicia Powell at the Gateway Pundit. Uh, bookmark that site and check it regularly. They got great media analysis and other reports. We're going to be joined by, for the rest of the segment, by Pastor Mike Spaulding, uh, Soaring Eagle Radio. As soon as we can bring him on, um, I want to, you know, Google made an interesting announcement today. They said they're not going to let their artificial intelligence technology be used for weapons systems. And I thought that was kind of interesting. Is this Google attempting to, because uh, we already know it's been used for weapon systems through DARPA and, and, and uh, you know, Lockheed Martin and whatnot. Is this just a, a PR battle that uh, we are seeing uh, by Google after, uh, you know, you have low morale and thousands of employee, uh, uh, lots of employee frustration at the way Google is used for sur- surveillance uh, systems. And uh, there was employee revolts over the fact that, uh, the government was asking Google to identify people and, and objects on the ground from these real-time uh, uh, surveillance operations. That basically, you know, big data, big government cooperating uh, to uh, Big Brother to spy on your every move and, and uh, study your behavior in order to better uh, control you and manip- manipulate you. So is this just the battle of PR, or is Google serious? I mean, they can't be serious because, again, they, I mean, they've already opened Pandora's box with AI and its uh, capabilities. And this is something I've been looking into uh, a little bit extra over the recent weeks that I want to talk about at some point in the near future. Uh, even Chief Justice Roberts at a graduation ceremony in Bethesda, Maryland today, uh, went on to say, beware of the bots, beware of the robots, as the Supreme Court prepares to rule this month on computer-generated methods by which politicians draw election districts for partisan advantage, Chief Justice Roberts urged high school graduates Thursday to beware of the robots. Addressing 83 young women graduating from a prestigious Catholic school in Washington suburbs, including his daughter, Roberts warned that artificial intelligence and big data can alter the way people perceive the world. And if you look at all the uh, the people who are uh, revolutionaries in the field of artificial intelligence, they all do agree on the one thing, that it will change humanity and humanity will merge with this technology in some capacity. And the, the uh, consequences and ramifications of that, of that are as bad as it sounds biblical in nature. And, uh, it's something that will, is not going away ever. Uh, so we'll, we'll have plenty of time to talk about that. Tech Eric, I know you got a new microphone over there. Do we have Pastor Spaulding? Yes, we do. 
Wow, we got him to talk on air. John, wow, you owe me money, right? Calendar. Well, I think I owe you money anyway. <laughs> yeah, I think I owe you money. Yeah, in, in fact, you do. I do. <laughs> Pastor Mike Spaulding is with us. Uh, Pastor Spaulding, it's great to have you back on. Joe, John, great to be back with you again. Well, yeah, uh, me and John, one of the th- we had so much going on here before the show, we did not get a chance to discuss what you were coming on uh, to talk about. I know we, we only got about eight, nine minutes uh, so take it away, Pastor. Well, there's so much to talk about. I mean, do we start with uh, with Venezuela? Do we start with uh, the Vatican? Do we start with uh, the Bilderberg Group? I mean, where where in the world do we start? You know, I'm always keeping an eye on on things that are going on with the church and within Christianity, and so I I, I always want to speak a little bit about that. And so, of course, perhaps we'll just well, start there. I'll tell you what, Pastor Mike. First of all, uh, uh, we had a little bit of a schedule shuffle because we needed to get Alicia on to cover that important material, mostly to quiet our listeners' spirits, to inform them, yes, there's new uh, developments in Tucson, but we all need to tap the brakes and let's let the professionals do what they do, and we're blessed to know people like Sawman, et cetera. We'll get, we'll get answers. Uh, but that being said, we've actually got you till 9 o'clock, correct? You're, you're good till uh, 9 o'clock Eastern, Pastor Mike? Yes, yeah, I'm okay, good perfect. if, uh, if good. that fits for you guys. Indeed it does. Okay, so, uh, t- uh, yes, let's start with, uh, I love uh, when we work together because, of course, I always point out you are Pastor Mike Spaulding, but, in fact, also Dr. Mike Spaulding. Uh, and there are two articles that I've been looking at. Uh, of course, one of them you and I discussed briefly last Saturday when we did Soaring Eagle Radio, uh, and I believe that will... Uh, post uh, on the 11th of this month, but uh, but we've got this this interesting insight into the megachurch budget in our country today, and then something Joe and I have been talking about a lot lately is just the state of where uh, the church is today, and I pulled an article, and uh, we can kind of play ping pong with it, from ABC News uh, that's talking about exorcism thriving in the U.S., say, experts. Now, I don't want to go off onto some demonology kick while we have you tonight, but I think that we can both agree that exorcism is certainly sort of the far-off polarity of where we as the remnant body of Christ do not want to be. Yes, yeah, I would agree with that for sure. And uh, I'm not surprised at that headline. I, I, I guess I am surprised that ABC is reporting it. That's That's kind of out of their wheelhouse, isn't it? Indeed, it is, and uh, you know one of the things it says here. I, well, let's go ahead and start here, since since we've referenced the article twice. This is interesting. It says the devil must be busier uh, in the new millennium, and it says this article is old, so I just want to give you one piece of it because this was notable. It says uh, the Archbishop of Calcutta, Henry Sebastian de Souza, announced that he ordered an exorcism performed on Mother Teresa before she died in 1997. Now, again, listeners, this is abcnews.com, Archbishop of Calcutta, Henry Sebastian de Souza, and he announced that Mother Teresa, I guess, had somehow perhaps become... I don't I don't personally, as a Christian, believe that if she was sealed in the Holy Spirit, she was possessed, but she certainly could have been oppressed. Uh, Pastor Mike, is that something that could occur because she was working in the subcontinent of India, and if so, what does that tell us about the uh, level of the danger zone that we're in spiritually here in America? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, the Bible tells us that perilous times are coming, 
in the end times there are a number of passages Joe and John that, that talk about this but as you were you were sharing that article I was reminded of First uh, Timothy chapter 4 verse 1 and it says this but the spirit that's the Holy Spirit the spirit explicitly says so very clearly states so there is no ambiguity no confusion no misunderstanding the Holy Spirit says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons so there are other places second Timothy has a has a passage that talks a similar subject and topic the fact is that demonology as we call it the study of, of demons uh, is is a good place for researchers like Russ Dizdar Tom Dunn uh, but I would caution listeners and, and I certainly have done this uh, from my own pulpit don't fancy yourself as some kind of demon chaser because what you're gonna have happen if you're not prayed up and armored up and and walking in the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit you're gonna get beat up so let's uh, let's make sure that we're going to approach this right now we have authority over them and and in the name and the blood of Jesus we have authority over them but to, to go out and try to hunt them down and think you're going to do some kind of spiritual warfare you better be you better be prepared and, and, and you better have your big boy pants on because this is real stuff here so exorcisms the reason they're on the rise uh, Joe and John in my opinion is because we are living in the latter times we see evil all around us you've just had a segment on the show where you're talking about this there's nothing in my opinion more evil than grown-ups savaging children for whatever reason but especially for sexual uh, depravity there's nothing more evil in, in, in my opinion than that and the fact that we see this on the rise all over and this is a global thing folks your listeners are well aware of this this is a global thing but it's hitting right here in America and so uh, we need to understand this is on, on the rise Luciferianism is on the rise I, I think that's what we see at the Bohemian Grove um, those are those are real human sacrifices going on there and 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 they they act like it is it is it is all some kind of put on show or, or whatever they're mocking the God of heaven when they're doing this the Bilderberg group we could go through that and some of the folks that are over there and and uh, again th that is that is nothing more than than a cabal of, of elitists who fancy themselves as rulers of this world now the three of us understand who the ruler of this world is but we also know who the creator is and who is soon to return uh, to redeem this fallen creation so exorcism is a real thing and uh, folks that are trained that are called of the Lord and have an anointing on them for that service uh, are certainly doing it and we need more of them but it's not for for everybody to jump in there and try to do that John in my opinion Oh, that's exactly right, Pastor Mike. And I want to read an excerpt from a book, Past, Present, and Future, which quotes an article from a magazine, Everybody's Magazine, the March edition from 1906, an article by Vance Thompson under the heading The Invisible World. 
Here it's quoting a number of paragraphs from the article, including some of his statements regarding demon worship in Paris. He says, In a skeptical age, we do not believe in much of anything unless it indeed bears the trademark of science. The intellectual fashion is all for materialism. For the rest, there is only uh, incredulity. incredulity. And yet the paradox is curious. Never was the world so ghost-ridden. Anyways, he goes on to talk about a a group in Paris that he uh, came upon to uh, observe some of their uh, religious ceremonies, which were satanic in nature, uh, in the name of science. And what he says is uh, there are actually very real demonic forces, and he has observed these in uh, these secret meetings. But he goes on to point out that these occult forces... Uh, are, are no longer unknown. Science has given them passports and names. And he even talks about some people who were there. The the top level, the prominent men at the top levels of society, he even names them. Paul Adams, the greatest living novelist. Meredith uh, something or another. It was an actress. And he goes on to detail how these people had all uh, become demonic possessed and died because of that possession. But it goes on to de- the detail. The underground spiritual world in Paris and the occult which has worship is worshiping Satan, uh, you know, in these secret tombs and catacombs underneath the city, and how it's all the people of the top echelons of society, and it, it describes exactly what we see today. Um, that this stuff has been going on, and it's been gaining uh, traction. It's been gaining momentum as, as more people fall away from uh, faith in God. They look to these other things, and and this is what uh, happens when we see evil increasing. So this is nothing new. But it has always stayed, it's always been kept secret, it's always been veiled. But I think with the rise of the internet and information, more and more uh, people are looking to this. And as you said, Pastor Mike, uh, if you go looking for for devils, (laughs) whether you want to or not, you're going to find one. And uh, you might not like the outcome of that, so you need to be very careful when dealing with this. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Joe. And and, uh, uh, worshipping Lucifer... Worshiping uh, Satan and and uh, the demons, they're, they're, when we read in the Old Testament about worshiping idols, there was actually a demon, an actual spiritual entity behind those idols, and um, yeah, they were worshipped. And it's it's throughout the old. In fact, uh, uh, the Lord said to to Ezekiel, He said, "Listen, I'm going to show you what is what is." Uh, the rotten core of Israel, what's going on right here in the temple. And he, and he took him in a vision and showed him priests that were making uh, offerings to idols in the temple. And yeah. uh, that, that was a problem that, that happened often for Israel. They, they, they worshipped demons, and, uh, and, and God always judged them for that. Now, we're seeing the same thing. Evolve today. Now it's it's happening piecemeal uh, within the church, but every time someone stands up like like the Pope and says, "Well, there's there's no hell," that is demon worship because that that yep. delights our enemy. Because listen, folks, if there is no hell, then the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and the blood that He shed to redeem the creation was unnecessary. If there's no judgment, why the cross? And for right. a man of, of his his position to make a statement like that. Now, and I've had a number of Roman Catholics tell me, well, this Pope is, is clearly manifesting the spirit of Antichrist. And uh, he, he is no more Christ's vicar or representative on the earth than I am. 
These are practicing Roman Catholics, and, and they make no bones about it. This man is going to bust hell's gates wide open. Uh, he's come out recently and said that um, uh, God accepts everyone into heaven, regardless of, of uh, their, their sexual orientation, their, their addictions. Their, it doesn't matter. Uh, God's a loving God, and so that's universalism, first of all. Yeah. No one gets into heaven except through faith in Christ. In, in fact, Jesus made that statement. Well, we don't have to argue with people. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. But we've got pastors all over the, all over the country now saying, oh, there are, there are many, many paths to, to uh, God, and, and, and faith in Christ is not necessary. And um, I say that those people should be yanked out of those pulpits and escorted out of that church and, and told that the threat of their life never darkened the doorway in this place again because that is, that is blasphemy uh, against the Creator. And we're not going to tolerate that, but unfortunately too many people do today. Well, uh, this uh, brings us to an interesting road. Many people identify in, in Scripture and prophecy that the, uh, the beast, the, the little horn in Daniel actually represents what the Vatican is and what the Pope represents and uh, they use the argument that says um, that the uh, where where is it here that the, the crown the seven it has the name of blasphemy on the crown I don't have the exact scripture in front of me and I apologize for that but it, it goes on in John 10.33 to reference what is uh, blasphemy and it's one who takes the title of, of God as himself and if you look at the ecclesiastical dictionary uh you know, there's so many references to the Pope is is exalted as in the same class of God and whatnot. What is your What is your thoughts on the the uh, what role the Vatican and Pope and or Catholic Church play in biblical prophecy? Do you have that yeah. nailed down? Great, yeah, yeah, great question, Joe. Um, here's here's my take on that. As I uh, study and 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 contemplate and, and research the scriptures, especially the prophetic scriptures, Daniel and the book of Revelation, and because those those two books particularly tell us, give us clues as to what's coming, what, what we can expect. And so I would encourage people to get in and study both of those books. Now, how I see it, Joe, is that the Catholic Church, because of its global reach, because of its massive organization and hierarchy, it's already established in most nations, uh, across the world it is it is most certainly in, in my opinion going to be used as the uh, as, as, as the organization that's already in place so so what I'm saying is that when this one world religion comes into existence and, and, and Joe and John it's already being formulated right now before our very eyes uh, Carl Teichrib is, is, a, is a wonderful researcher on this. He, he attends a lot of these different functions where there's a, there's a, a merging of spirituality across the world. And, and, and uh, we have things like uh, the world parliament of, of, uh, of religions. They're all coming together for dialogue and conversation and, and, and a meeting of the minds. The Pope, how many times have you read uh, headlines, uh, Joe and John, where the Pope has... has uh, 
uh, reached out to the Muslims and um, very accepting of Islam and saying, you know, Islam is is compatible with Christianity. Uh, in fact, they share uh, worship of Mary, an affinity for Mary, and um, uh, Islam uh, venerates Mary. Uh, I think that's a clue to what we're going to see in the end times. Now. They're going to be joined, the, the, the Roman Catholic Church as an organization. I don't know that it will continue to be called that, but, but the, my argument is its, its infrastructure, its organization, which is already global, is going to be melded with Islam, apostate Christianity, Buddhism, Hinduism, all the world's religions are going to come into one. Now, the only way that that can happen, Joe and John, the only way that that can happen for Christians is 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 if they are apostate and what what makes them apostate is that they have denied Jesus so see that's what separates the remnant body of Christ from the apostates and other world religions Jesus Christ is the son of God the savior of the world the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, and all who will place their faith in him shall be saved. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus says, I'm the only way. So, what's going to happen in this one world religion is they're going to throw Jesus out. Well, the Catholic Church has no problem with that because they already venerate Mary. They're already propping Mary up as a co-redemptrix. Now, I don't mean to, to um, offend Catholics, but the truth is the truth. They are they are elevating Mary to a place of co-redemptrix. They pray to Mary. They say they don't, but I know otherwise. They pray to Mary. They venerate Mary. They pray to dead saints. That's necromancy, by the way, folks. Necromancy, forbidden in the scriptures. So that's my view on it, uh, uh, Joe. Now the the Bible says that there will be many. Jesus Himself said there will be many come along and claim to be me. There'll be many Christs. And and what he meant by that was there'll be many that'll have the spirit, the spirit of Antichrist. And I think that the Pope is certainly demonstrating the spirit of Antichrist. But I said the same thing about Obama. Obama, in my opinion, manifested the spirit of Antichrist in his hatred toward Christianity. And, and how a Christian could support uh, Obama, which many of them did, was was just flabbergasting to me and I saw it as a trial run of what's coming down the pike people were swooning and just fainting deliriously over, over Obama just being in his presence and I thought well now I understand what the scripture says about how uh, the, the Antichrist is going to be so charismatic because we're seeing a, a dry run right here so I don't know if that answered your question. It was a long-winded response, Joe, but I think the infrastructure is already there. We're seeing it built upon, and as as uh, once Bible-believing Christians fall into apostasy, denying Christ, they're going to join this worldwide movement towards peace and safety. And remember what it says: when the Bible the Bible says when people are clamoring peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come upon them. Yeah, and and it that's exactly exactly what we uh you know we we hear about all this the security this peace having to give up freedoms for security and and peace and it is uh, uh really uh, as Benjamin Franklin said those who give up uh, freedoms for security deserve neither and that's yes. uh, so true even in today I want to ask you this 
America in Bible prophecy. Now, I'm reading uh, an interesting, I guess you can call it an interesting study, an interesting viewpoint that takes the, uh, it, it, put, it puts Bible verses, it tries to put Bible verses into its context. It says, the second beast which arises out of the earth completes a satanic trinity of error. It is the most descriptive in its appearance. No one is afraid of a lamb. It is gentle, innocent, and harmless. The power represented by the lamb is newly born power. Since it arises out of the earth, there is a suggestion that it comes upon the scene in a place where no other nation has existed. No government was overthrown to make way for this lamb-like power. Uh, furthermore, it, the second beast was to emerge in a new locality as the leopard beast was being taken into captivity. Anyway, uh, this is describing the United States of America, this author says, and it says the prophet Daniel, in describing the lamb and his accomplishments, uses seven strong verbs of action. And it goes on to say he exercises all powers. The first beast, first beast, he causeth worship of the first beast. He doeth great wonders. He makes fires come down from heaven. Uh, he deceiveth. He gives life unto the image of the beast. He causes all to receive the mark. And it goes on to say the lamb with two horns grew into prominence as a power. As the first beast was going into captivity, it arose out of the earth in the new world. Now, I don't necessarily agree with with all this, but America in Bible prophecy is in the United States with the. Uh, the way that it, you know we have this whole world world conquest in, in Europe and in the East for thousands of years, and then the whole landscape of the world changed with the discovery and rise of America in just a few hundred years. Where and if and anywhere in Bible prophecy is America mentioned? Yeah, great question, Joe, and it depends on who you ask. Right, <laughs> I know you've right. heard that answer before, right? Oh so yeah, it depends on who you ask. So um, I grew up in in. in in the 60s and 70s, and and uh, and was saved in 1983, so 35 years ago. And and uh, during the time that I was saved, the the traditional view of America as it relates to the end times was that we weren't present, we're not mentioned. And folks had all kinds of theories about what that meant. Uh, now today, there are a lot of authors out there that think that America, and especially New York City could be considered Babylon, the Babylon that is spoken of in the book of Revelation. I'm um, thinking uh, especially of Doug Woodward uh, on this. He's written a couple of books about this. Um, and, and, and so you've got these competing views about is America present at the end times uh, or not. Now here's, here's what I think. I think America is going to be present, but it is not going to be the player that some people think it's going to be. I don't think America is going to be destroyed. I don't think we're going to be rendered um, impotent. I think America will still be one of several. We're not going to be the superpower. I think we'll still be um, a prominent nation, but just one among many. Because remember, the economic landscape as we head into uh, the, the times that we're talking about here, Joe and, and, and John, is going to change drastically. Now, I don't know if that means uh, the petrodollars are going to go bye-bye, other currencies. I, I, I'm not going to speculate about that. But, but it's my view that America is not the superpower. Now, I believe that based on, and I just had this conversation recently with um, uh, Bill Salas, and we were talking about uh, the Gog and Magog war, talking about Ezekiel 38, 39, Jeremiah 49, uh, the Psalm 83 war, and how those all fit in together. 
And it seems that this is Bill's position, and I can I can I can understand where he's coming from uh, on this. Uh, but when it talks about uh, the young lions being on the sidelines and just kind of voicing their disapproval at what's happening to Israel, uh, some folks are thinking that that's America. Now, if that's the case, just for the point of conversation, Joe, to answer your question, if that is the case, then uh, we do not jump in to defend Israel. Now, and I know that's... It's a popular uh, thought today, among, especially among evangelical Christians, that uh, America will defend Israel no matter what. Well, and Scripture even says that. Uh, doesn't it? Yeah. All nations. All, all nations. nations. All nations. Yes, all nations. Now, it's uh, people are people are kind of tapping the brakes a little bit uh, on 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 this, but with with Trump in office and the things that are happening, uh, that we're seeing a resurrection of that again. That that America is going to jump in and defend Israel. Not, I, I'm not sure about that. I'm just not sure that the Scripture teaches that for reasons. Uh, one of them you already named, all nations. Um, so. So what I see happening is uh, America still being in existence, not being the superpower that it once was, protesting uh, what's happening uh, in the Middle East, but not being able to do anything about it or being unwilling to do anything about it, one or the other. Yeah, it's uh, definitely something that is uh, at the forefront of the debate of theologians and people who, who are very interested in prophecies. What where, where does America fit into all this? And if it if it's not in the Bible, then that uh, is even more uh, that would be even more startling to me, especially seeing uh, you know how much prominence we have even compared to other nations in historical times. It doesn't make sense that it wouldn't be in the Bible. But either way, it's something that we're going to obviously continue to watch and look at and study and see if we can understand better. Yes. See, uh, Pastor Mike, um, uh, per the title of this evening's show. And I was almost hesitant to title the show this tonight. It was, it was kind of borderline on maybe a little bit cute. But uh, but we've got the Vatican at Bilderberg, and I, and I think we've done a, a, a very nice comprehensive job of, of sort of unpacking that this evening. But we've also, the other second part of the title is Venezuela at Hell's Gate. Now, Pastor Mike, uh, you and I know that when we were uh, putting together On the Objective, uh, ontheobjective.org with our good friend Mr. Minking and, uh, and Sergeant Tim, uh, that we tried to get some some help down to Venezuela a couple of years ago, and essentially we struck out because there was no clear path. I mean, this was really sad. We couldn't. I mean, we couldn't yeah. find anything doing basic Google searches. We looked for missionaries or for a for a yep. church that we could trust because we we were ready to send them a couple of rolls of silver, based yep. on that uh, article that that I think I read it or Stephen did, that said that at the time. Now this is back when Venezuela's inflation was like four hundred percent that an ounce of silver would feed a family of four for a week. Well, before you jumped on this evening, Joe and I just uh, covered the most recent piece that uh, the inflation in Venezuela has kicked past 25,000%. And here we are about two years uh, since the effort that you and I attempted to make uh, outside the Hagman Report. So, Pastor Mike, that being said, I'm going to hand it over to you. Uh, Let's go wherever you like. But, um, uh, well, two questions. Number one. What do we as Christians in this blessed country need to be doing for Venezuela? And number two, do you have any insights as the senior pastor at Calvary Chapel in Lima, Ohio, as well as a uh, a retired 
uh, uh, you served your country in the in the U.S. Army, and you're the host of Soaring Eagle Radio. So you've you've got you've got your finger on the pulse. Uh, Venezuela. Let's let's go there, Pastor Mike. Yeah. Well, uh, one of the things that uh, is very frustrating for me is to read uh, the articles that the mainstream media puts out talking about uh, the, the economic problems in Venezuela and, and trying to make the argument that it has to do uh, with their oil production, their inability to, to export their oil. Um, I just read recently with ConocoPhillips uh, uh, through, through an arbitration award seized some of their um, offshore uh, storage facilities and and so on and so forth and I thought well y- you know that makes that makes good background uh, but the fact of the matter is Venezuela's economy being in a shambles has nothing to do with oil prices I mean I I even read uh, an article where they tried to say and oil is at a four year low at seventy dollars a barrel now John you know this and Joe I think you know this and listeners probably don't. But I happen to work for a living. I, I, I pastor because I get to, and it's a blessing. But I work for a living to pay the bills. And I happen to work at an oil refinery. And guess what? I can tell you that oil at $70 a barrel is more than double what it was two years ago. So all of this yes. nonsense that you're reading in, in the newspapers and articles on the Internet about the price of oil is responsible for Venezuela's uh, economic issues and problems, that is a pure, fabricated lie, and, and anybody can check it. All you need to do is, is open up the newspapers or go online, and you can see what the historical price, where it was at just two years ago. So Yeah, not only that, supply... That, is at historic amounts and uh, demand is not as high. And and but yes. one of the arguments that people make about Venezuela is that their oil is uh, much different. It, it's more crude. It has to go through more of a refining process, which costs more to take out of the ground, and that's why uh, it's different from other countries. That's the argument that's being made. But it's much more to do with the politics of yes. uh, Venezuelan leaders than the uh, oil prices and and uh, removal of oil from the ground. You're absolutely right, Joe. It is it is due to socialism. It's due to communism. It's due to Marxism. Socialism, communism, Marxism, the darling of, of, of the campus uh, idiots today in America, um, is responsible. It is always responsible. There, there is no question about it. Communism, you can call it socialism, communism, Marxism, it doesn't matter. It's all the same thing. And at the core is a centralized government that controls pricing. Listen, folks, it, it, you don't have to be. We should get Stephen on here. I mean, bring him up. Say, Stephen, come in here and give about a five minute, uh, a very quick primer on, on, on uh, economics. And, and he'd do a much better job than I would, Joe and John, but I'll struggle through this. If you've got somebody that's controlling the price of a product, then what's going to happen is that product is going to start becoming scarce. Because what they do is they don't control it higher, they control it lower. So, for example, they say, well, 
Uh, watermelons are $3. That's too high. We want everybody to have a watermelon. We think they should be at $2. Well, what happens? Everybody starts buying watermelon. But the first people that get to the marketplace, they get the watermelon that nobody else does. So consequently, other fruits and vegetables start getting priced higher. And then people can't afford that. You know why all those shelves are empty in Venezuela? All the pictures that we see about the, the, all the store shelves are empty? Because the government has controlled the pricing of products. And, it, and, and, and by the way, what happens when governments control pricing is you, you establish a de facto black market. And people will start selling stuff on the black market, which, by the way, is going to cost more than what you could have got it in the grocery store if you just allow a free economic system to flourish. So what's going on in Venezuela, John, and, and you're absolutely right, it's heartbreaking. We tried to get um, some contacts down there, and I, the closest I could get was Colombia, uh, and, and they told me that they couldn't get into Venezuela. It, it was too dangerous to go in. Uh, and, and just no way to get in there. If we could, John, I'll tell you right now, if we could get uh, assistance and help the Venezuela, I'd do it today. But I don't know how we would go. About so would it. I. You know, and that's and that's uh, that that's that really says a lot because we talked about this the other night. And what I'd like to do with with your permission, Pastor Mike, we've got about uh, what do we got, Joe? About six minutes left with uh, yeah. with Pastor Mike. Pastor Mike, take these last several minutes, if you would, sir. And the, the discussion you and I had privately on Sunday night, I, I, I hope that you can do this. I believe you can in, in the allotted time. Uh, Christians, they, they, they have a basic uh, model to follow, and it's found in the book of John. And you and I discussed how you, 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 you come to Christ, you repent, you do a 180, which is the key to getting into the process that, that is known as sanctification, but then you dropped something on me that I was really fuzzy on, and I'm betting a lot of our listeners this evening are too, and that was the idea of striving toward becoming, I believe it's, it's, it's a vessel of holiness. And, and, and Pastor Mike, the reason I think this is relevant today, Vatican at Bilderberg, Venezuela at the gates of hell, how many of our listeners tonight, all of, all of our listeners, just be honest with yourselves for a moment, where are you at in that model that I just described? Have you repented? If so... Have you turned from your ways? Are you on that path of sanctification? And if you're on that path, do you recognize that the end goal, which, by the way, we never get to at this uh, in this mortal life, are you headed toward being a vessel of holiness? I hope I, I hope I set that model up correctly, Pastor Mike. To you, sir. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you, John. Um, yeah, th that's one of those subjects, and, and, and we see the rotten fruit of, of disregarding this, this biblical principle. Being right with the Father is accomplished, achieved by receiving, trusting in the Son. So there is salvation in no other name. Uh, the writer to the book of uh, the writer of the book of Hebrews said. But there is no other name given under heaven among men by which we must be saved, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. So salvation comes about as a result of repentance. Repentance is a turning away from uh, who you were before by acknowledging, really, and many people have said this, repentance is nothing more than agreeing with what God says about you. So we agree that, that we are separated from a holy God by our sin. And, and so we repent of that. We confess that before the Lord. And we say, I want to live for you. Fill me 
with your Holy Spirit that will enable me to do that. And so that's how we walk out this life of faith. Now, the Holy Spirit in us has a job. He's just not in there uh, laying in the hammock uh, day after day after day. The Holy Spirit's job is to teach and instruct and encourage and edify and convict when we stray off the path that 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 little neon light that goes off in your brain that says don't do that I wouldn't do that don't say that that's the Holy Spirit and so as we're striving and by the way folks what what, what John and I were talking about is is uh, the process of sanctification sanctification that is the process of being made holy now Sanctification has a positional aspect in that when we are born again, we are made holy by virtue of our position. The Bible says that we become adopted sons and daughters, and we become joint heirs with Jesus Christ. So positionally speaking, we are holy. We're set aside. But there's this thing called life that we must live Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's the process of experiential sanctification. So in this life, we're going to stumble and we're going to sin. And we confess that and we are cleansed and forgiven. The ultimate sanctification or holiness, and John, you said this and you said it very well, will not be achieved in this life. Ultimate sanctification is glorification. We are in the presence of the Father. But listen, folks, here's the point. The Christian life itself is about drawing closer to the Father. It's about becoming more of a vessel of honor, more of a vessel of holiness, more useful for the Father in space and time. We all have assignments. God saved every one of us for a purpose, and he gives us an assignment in this life. Paul wrote to the Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. He says, listen, we are all Christ's workmanship, and he has saved us so that we would do the works which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now that's an interesting that's an interesting statement. God has a plan for every one of you and I know that's gotten some bad press over the years but he really does. He saved you for a purpose. Not to set you up on a shelf and let you just go stale but to give you an assignment. John, you and Joe you guys are fulfilling your assignments. You are reaching people. You are impacting people's lives. The Hagman Report Doug certainly Everything that you do, you're impacting people's lives. And I so appreciate the opportunity to press this point to your listeners. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, what are you waiting on? Place your faith in him today. And that merely means trusting in what Christ did on Calvary's cross for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you become a disciple, which is a follower, a learner. So you follow and learn from Jesus. So be in the scriptures. Make sure that you're praying daily. Set aside time. It is a discipline because you won't want to do it. The flesh does not want to discipline itself. So discipline yourself to pray. Be in the scriptures. Be in communion, fellowship with other believers. Iron sharpens iron. And in this process of living life together and fulfilling the assignments that God gives to each one of us, we become vessels of honor and holiness fit for the king. Amen. Perfect timing, Pastor Mike. You've taken us right to the end of the segment. God bless you. Thank you for your time. We will talk soon. Folks, we'll be right back after these short messages with Keith Hansen. Don't go anywhere.
And welcome back to this Thursday edition of the Hagman Report in Hour 3. We are joined by Keith Hansen. Folks, the possibility of being involved in an active shooter situation is a high-risk threat. This program provides the background and incorporates the legal response to the deadly behavior for civilians that are carrying weapons. What program am I talking about? A active shooter training with Keith Hansen. The program is aimed at enabling them to respond if they are caught in the crossfire. It is based on the MACTAC, Multiple Assault Counterterrorism Action Capabilities, and ALERT, Advanced Law Enforcement Rapid Response Training. And this is approved for police officer training and has been adapted to civilian use. Both ALERT and MACTAC have been used to change federal, state, and local agencies. And this is uh, some of the training that Keith offers. To develop the student's basic skills and understanding to a prolific level that will enable the student to immediately make a decision to deploy a weapon and neutralize violent assaults and or terrorist acts. Some of the performance objectives are learning activities, drills, and practical application scenarios. The student will learn about case law and prior incidents, demonstrate the ability to determine whether to shoot or not to shoot, know and understand how to utilize the three A's, assess, act, and assist in field situations, demonstrate a working knowledge of all concepts. You want to get trained. You want to be prepared. You want to feel confident. And if, God forbid, you ever find yourself in an active killing situation, know that you have equipped yourself with the tools and the mindset to win. And what we are going to do, we're going to open by talking about this class that Keith is going to be uh, teaching as part of an event with myself, John, and uh, my father, Doug, which we have planned for, uh, what well, we changed the date, Keith, uh, help me out, is it the 23rd, 22nd, 23rd? Well, the, uh, the thing, and, and thanks for having me, Joe. It's great to, uh, great to be back on. Uh, the, so th- the only date that I could get that range out in Garrettsville was on the 17th. So that's going to be going on the 17th, um, on uh, Sunday from 9 a.m. until roughly about 8 p.m. Uh, and then what we're working on is just, you know, basically we're working around your dad's schedule right now, uh, because of, uh, the stuff that he's got going on. Uh, so as soon as we're able to nail down a date for the, uh, for the, for the dinner event, uh, in the live forum, then, uh, you know, we're certainly going to announce that. But, uh, I had people who had actually already signed up for the, uh, for the active shooter response program. Uh, and so rather than canceling it and shifting it around where people couldn't just said, you know what, we're going to, we're going to go ahead and we're going to run with this. So it, uh, it is a, it is a green light. It is a go for, uh, Sunday the 17th starting at, uh, 8 a.m. in Garrettsville. Um, and, uh, I've got, I've got the link there for you. So people can just quickly go over to that. Uh, and uh, get more information, and uh, if they want to sign up and register, it is a phenomenal, phenomenal program. Uh, and I'm, I'm not basing that on, on my own egotistical assumptions about the program. I'm basing that on the feedback that I've gotten from students who have gone through this and said, this is by far one of the best trainings that uh, I've, I've ever had. Yeah, and, and uh, I had the uh, opportunity of being able to take the uh, different type of class that, that you offered, the uh, conceal. Uh, carry certification class and that was a very educational experience as we spent you know half the time in the uh, really the classroom learning about the the mechanics and and disabling it and, and reassembling of the weapon and then you know the other half was was field training but you said this is much more in, involved than that and uh, right you the, know, the program that you and your dad did was the introduction to tactical handgun 
um, okay. which is which is the, the the basic tactics behind carrying and then deploying a defensive firearm. Um, this is this is really it's it's not an advanced program in terms of the handling skills, but the disciplines and the curriculum is designed specifically to be looking at the legal, the ethical, and the tactical use of deadly force in a high stress environment. And this is not a program where we're teaching people to become SWAT guys and you know run down and take down the bad guy. The biggest thing about this is to to have the ability to make the assessment as to whether or not it's a good idea to get involved and to deploy that weapon and to know what you can do from a legal standpoint, to know what you can do from a civil liability standpoint. Um, you know, and the biggest thing you don't want to do is ever be a danger to yourself or other people. So we're really looking at when is an appropriate time to deploy, when is it, when is it a time not to deploy. And then a big part of it, too, is the, the tactical emergency medical. Uh, aspects, gunshot wounds, uh, massive hemorrhaging, amputations, things like that. How do we keep people alive during what's considered the golden hour? That's that 60-minute period where if, if somebody has a, a multi-system trauma or, or serious trauma uh, occur, you've got roughly about 60 minutes to get that person to a trauma center. So it's what we do in the meantime that is really, really critical. And, you know, when, when you look at the battlefield injuries, the battlefield deaths that occurred during the Vietnam conflict, roughly 75% of the battlefield deaths that occurred by today's advanced medical standards are, and when I say advanced medical standards, I'm talking about the equipment that the average soldier, that the average police officer has at their immediate deployment. 75% of those battlefield deaths by today's standards are survivable. Wow. That's pretty interesting. And I think the, uh, that's one of the, 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 interesting parts of this program is that you incorporate not only the active shooter response but also the uh the the medical training which is is absent from so much training that we see today it just seems to be focused on the firearm aspect of things but uh you know the the uh, battlefield i see john buying stuff every week you know he gets uh, these boxes from amazon that have these uh tourniquets and and what else did he he yeah yeah uh keith welcome back to the show i I just want to tell our listeners uh Keith Hansen has become, he's always been a good friend of the show, but we have a huge announcement coming next week. Doug Hagman will be back in the chair Monday. And by the way, thank you for your prayers, listeners. They are being heard. Doug is up and around and feeling better. Uh, but Keith has been working behind the scenes to, to put something incredible together for this program. And we're super excited about that. But back to the topic. Uh, Keith and I had the opportunity to have a little bit of, uh, a little bit of, of brother to brother chat time last weekend. And most of our listeners, you, you guys know that, that, you know, I'm a gun owner. I, I enjoy shooting and I, I own a few guns. And in, just in speaking with Keith, just off the record, casual conversation, this was not a classroom setting, uh, or a directed course of study. I realized that even though I've got hundreds of hours of range time and some pretty good guns, man, it, I, I realized that I know very little about defending myself or defending the defenseless if I had to go to work, God forbid, in a Walmart or a gas station, etc. So I cannot emphasize this enough. Now, Joe, uh, you took the class with Keith, uh, and you've had a lot of range time as well. I'm going to pass it back to Keith and yourself, but there's a definite, I mean, just from that one conversation, Keith, huge difference between range <laughs> you, time and, and do training. You, do you want to tell the listeners how long that conversation was? It was no. supposed to be a five-minute conversation. How long did it wind up going for? We we were let's just say it was a it was it was a breakfast meeting. We did lunch and dinner. <laughs> it was over. It was close to four hours and forty-five minutes. 
was that uh, was that conversation on Sunday, and it was uh, it was one of those conversations that it felt like it was probably 15 minutes, and we looked down at the looked down at the phone timer, and it's like we've been on the phone for close to five hours. Yeah, it was a, it was uh, a treat. It's crazy. It really it was a treat, and and Keith, I learned a lot just from that conversation with you. But I am telling you, your uh, your insights into, I mean, I like the fact that it's just common sense. Okay, it's just common sense. Uh, uh, precision and and protocol but mm-hmm. i think there's a lot of guys like myself out there who who think hey you know what i can i can put some pretty good groups down on 100 or even 200 mm-hmm. yards and i've done this and i've got that and blah 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 blah, blah. as you and i began right. to speak i was scratching my head going yeah i'm actually just getting started <laughs> yeah well you know and and i, and I think the, the the biggest thing is to to really recognize that um you know, no matter how much training you have, and, and, and a lot of times people do, they do their, their static range training. They go to the range and they shoot, but they're, they're, they're doing that in a very controlled environment. It's not a dynamic environment. It's not a high stress environment. It's not a rapidly evolving environment. Um, and, and that's what the theater of combat is all about. It is very high stress. It is rapidly evolving. You're generally experiencing psychological and physiological shutdowns. Various various uh, bodily systems are shutting down. Your your brain is actually working against you, um, and so it's really being able to understand what's happening to you, what's happening in that environment, um, and and then making the appropriate choice. And the one thing that I and I told you on the phone, and I I will tell everybody in my class, I am not an expert on this stuff. I never profess to be an expert on this stuff. What I teach, whether it's whether it's a law enforcement program, whether it's a, a, a government contract program, whether it's a civilian program, I teach options. I like equipping people with options because options are wonderful things. When you're in a bad situation or a high-stress environment, the more options that you have, the better equipped you are to be able to respond and handle that situation with a minimal impact to yourself and the people that you love and the people that you care about. And that's really what it's important. You know, if, if you only go through life with one way of thinking, that's like being a mechanic and only having a Phillips head screwdriver. In that, that proverbial toolbox. If you only have a Phillips head screwdriver in that, in that toolbox, you better hope and pray that every problem you encounter is going to be a Phillips head screw. Otherwise, you're screwed, literally. Um, and so I teach <laughs> options. And, and you know what? Maybe my way of doing things or my way of teaching things isn't, isn't everybody's. Hey, listen, that's okay. If you can take one thing away from the program and, and actually have it be viable for your system, viable for whatever scenario you happen to find yourself in, that's that's what I want to do. I want to equip people with options. And this is stuff that works. This is stuff that's being, this is cutting-edge tactics, cutting-edge training that is being delivered to federal, state, and local law enforcement agencies. This has just been adapted for a civilian audience. What can okay. you do? What can't you do? And, and what do you need to know in order to make the decision about what you're going to do and how you're going to respond? Let, let's do this. Uh, I was hoping that, that toward the back end of your visit with us, you could comment a little bit on what we see today, and we've kind of had a little bit of a Venezuela theme tonight. I, I thought we could talk a little bit about the, how important it is that we, as as citizens with a Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms, that we that we maintain that right, that we treat it with the, as the valuable, precious uh, blessing that it is. But before we go there, Keith, uh, just thinking back to that conversation we had last weekend, what are like two or three, maybe three or four of the really common mistakes or misconceptions? That fellows like Joe or myself or Eric, I mean, all, all of us enjoy shooting as a sport. We all own guns. But, mm-hmm. but you've been doing this a long time. Take your average guy, good guy, no law enforcement training. What are some of the, 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 the really big misconceptions that, that you straighten out in this course? 
Well, I think the biggest thing, first of all, is the misconception of what is actually taking place in, in an environment where there is an active shooter, where there's an average killer, and, 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 or an active killer, excuse me. And, and, and we, you know, I, I, the opening part of the program, we'll, we'll talk about what the average person's fantasy is. And I don't mean that in a sexual context, just I mean a fantasy. People daydream about this all the time. Um, think back to the Aurora, Colorado theater shooting. How many people after that did you hear say, boy, you know, that guy was lucky I wasn't in the theater because I would have jumped up and I would have pulled out my little, you know, whatever, your Ruger LCP 380 or whatever, and I would have, you know, put three or four well-placed shots down and I would have dropped the guy. I know so many people who that was the mindset. If I had been there, I would have been the hero. It's like, well, no, actually, he really probably wouldn't have. Um, and I hate to give Dirtbags credit, but he had... Uh, the, 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 the shooter in that situation had a significant number of tactical advantages. He really stacked the deck in his favor. So the first thing is shattering the misconceptions about what actually takes place in an active shooter situation. The second thing is understanding how your body responds under stress and how your brain responds under stress. And the easiest way to explain this is, you know, people are terrified of public speaking. And people are terrified of public speaking because suddenly now when the emphasis is on them, when they are standing in front of a room with 20 or 30 or 50 or, you know, for most people, God forbid, 500 sets of eyes on them, they get nervous. They start to have a stress reaction. And the prefrontal cortex, which is the part of the brain that controls cognitive thinking and, and, and memory recall, that begins to shut down. And that's one of the reasons why oftentimes when people are under stress, they can't even remember their own name. And so when that body goes into that prefrontal cortex shutdown and that limbic response, that's where we start to see the complete eradication of fine motor skills. That's where the human body, the, the brain is, basically it's like monkey brain. At that point, when you're under extreme stress, about the only thing you're really capable of doing is grunting and swinging a bat because it doesn't require cognitive processing and it doesn't require fine motor skills. The basal ganglia, the portion of the brain that takes over and, 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 and controls automated responses, the basal ganglia kicks in. And so your, your brain actually works against you in high stress situations. And that's one of the things that really has become important in tactical training and in military training, uh, especially for, for people who are working in, in the combat fields is, is a, is a discipline called stress inoculation and immersion where the types of training that you're going through as closely replicate as humanly possible actual combat scenarios and actual battlefield stressors. So that way there, you can become immersed in the stress and therefore become at least hopefully inoculated or impervious to the effects that that stress are going to have on, on your body and on your brain. Again, that, that prefrontal cortex shutdown, that limbic response, when your body goes into that fight, flight, or freeze mentality, it's absolutely devastating for the average person. You can't think, you can't process, you've got all this information coming at you rapidly, but yet you're expected to make a life or death decision. So we really unpack and analyze and dissect that and explain what's happening. And we talk about combat awareness. We talk about situational awareness and combat mindset. Um, what goes into all of these, uh, all of these decisions? We talk about the OODA loop, which is something I, I teach an eight hour standalone class on OODA loop. It's a phenomenal, phenomenal concept about how we make decisions under pressure and under stress and how we can outthink an opponent to be able to gain a tactical advantage, which is time. We want to outthink the opponent so that we there we have the advantage of time. Time is the single greatest tactical advantage that you can possess because time allows you to process and think go through that cost-benefit consequence analysis 
and figure out what is the best choice for you, given the, the certain set of circumstances and the resources that you have available at that time. It's it's absolutely critical. And, and uh, the timing that you're talking about, Keith, is so important because these situations unfold and, and are over in just a matter of, of moments. And mm-hmm. having that, that training, uh, that memory recall, the ability to uh, respond to this, it, it, it is all about timing. And, and most people who don't have this training are not uh, equipped or, or, you know, the situational awareness is another huge thing. It, anymore today with people in smartphones, it, they walk around like zombies, you know, constantly looking at their screen, not even aware. You know, I, I don't know if you've seen these reports in foreign countries, but they've actually made laws against people using smartphones out in certain public areas because mm-hmm. of the deaths that, that kept occurring from people taking selfies or not paying attention and walking into traffic. But it's crazy. And then you think about, uh, you know, just the basic survival, uh, uh, what you call them, your own instincts. Th- those are removed in today's society, and we need to relearn those. Well, if you, if you remember that there was, there was some, some pretty famous, uh, internal surveillance camera footage from a mall, I think it was Mall of America, where a woman was playing with it. This is before the smartphone. She was on an iPad or an iPhone, an iPod, uh, one of the old generation iPods. And she was scrolling through the, uh, through the iPod as she's walking through the mall. Um, and she literally goes ass over tea kettle into one of those internal mall fountains because she wasn't paying attention <laughs> yeah. to where she was. She was, she was in what we call condition white. Um, and, and, you know, I would, to put it into a more practical sense, think about times where you've been, you've, you've left your house and you're driving to a certain destination. Maybe it's a place that you're aware of, like maybe your, your job, for instance, your work, or maybe it's to a significant other's home or something like that. You, you get in your car and then you arrive at your destination, but you were in such deep thought that you don't remember the route that you took to get there. Did I take back roads? Did I take a highway? How did I get here? You can't recall any aspect of the commute from point A to point B. Now, that's also because of, 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 of that of that automated response. You're familiar with it. It's something that you've done. It doesn't really take a lot of cognitive processing. But that's something that we call condition white. And that's a that's a, a very, very vulnerable situation because you're distracted. You're thinking about other things. Movie theaters, perfect example. How many people are really aware yeah. of their environment when they're in a movie theater? You're distracted. You're watching a movie. You're engrossed in the story. You know, you're you're getting into the into the character summaries and the plot summary and everything else. You're really not paying attention to who's coming or going inside that movie theater. You're really in that condition white phase. That is the most dangerous phase for you to be in because you're really oblivious to the goings-ons in your particular environment. And so that you know, we, we talk about it. We talk about the different phases of awareness. Um, and, and what you can do, little tips and tricks that you can use to be more situationally aware, to be aware when people are coming in and leaving your environment and, and, and things to watch for. Um, it, those are all things that are absolutely critical. And then again, yeah. the likelihood is that the average person is not going to find themselves in a terrorist incident. And, you know, we talk about this active shooter thing, but today it's, it's, it's actually being redefined. And it's, there's, a, there's a new phrase for this, active killer, because the active killer could be somebody who's using a firearm. It could be somebody who's using a knife. It could be somebody who's driving a uh, a commercial vehicle into a in, into a into a densely packed pedestrian area. Um, it, it, it's taking on different phases, not just the firearm. And so, if you do, and, the, and, and most people are probably never going to find themselves in that situation. That's a good thing. But if you do happen to find yourself in that situation, what is your game plan? What is your escape plan? What is your response plan? Have you ever thought about that? And it's probably not as simple as, oh, I'm just going to pull, pull my gun out and, and shoot my way out of the situation. 
that's not the solution. It requires a lot more processing and a lot more decision-making and a lot more, you know, on this segment, we talk all the time about having a disciplined analytical framework. This is where that disciplined analytical framework absolutely comes into uh, uh, into play. Yeah, and it is so important. And, again, uh, we are teaming up with Keith Hansen in, uh, in just a few weeks to do uh, uh, two things. One, have a dinner, uh, like an event-type dinner, with uh, anybody who, who wants to come, and, and you can register. Uh, Eric, if you could put that, that graphic back up on the screen. Uh, the only thing that's different about the graphic is the date that's on it. It's actually one week later uh, than June 17th. But the uh, armed citizens' response to an active, sh- active shooter event uh, is what we're going to be doing, and it's a two-part thing. It's a dinner on Saturday night, and the training on Sunday morning, starting on Sunday morning. Make sure you uh, you register. And Keith, what am I seeing here? What's this uh, website? bit.ly. Uh, yeah, that is case specific. It's just a very, very shortened hyperlink. Bitly is a, it's a, it's basically a, a URL abbreviator. Okay. Um, so if, if, if you go to, I mean, I could give you the long, the Eventbrite, Eventbrite is the registration system that we use for this. By the way, this is limited. There's only 24 slots available for the 17th. So it's first come, first serve, uh, for those 24 slots. Um, but the, the, the web address is, uh, Bitly, uh, and it's, it, it is case sensitive. It's all lowercase. B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash A-C-R-A-S-E-1-7. And you, I think you have that, that link up there on yeah. the screen. And I'll post it up um, on so Hagman Report again. Yep, so it's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash ACRASE, A-C-R-A-S-E-1-7. Numeral 1, numeral 7. And that'll take you directly over to the uh, to the registration page. Again, it's first come, first serve, first 24 slots gets it. Um, but it's a, it's a fantastic program, and this is something that has been uh, under development. It's been evolving. Um, this is the, uh, I want to say now, the second year that I've been offering this. Um, and there have been well over, well, as of right now, there's about 2,000 people that have gone through the program. <clears throat> and, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's just one of those things. I mean, if, if you're an avid, if you're an avid sportsman, if you're an avid hunter, if you're an avid shooter, if you're a person that carries a firearm concealed to protect yourself, to protect your family, this is really something that you should think about taking because this addresses the very specific things that you're probably carrying a firearm to protect yourself from. So we're going to take a very stark and very candid look at this world and exactly what it is that you need to equip yourself with to be able to adequately respond to a situation or not respond to it. And that's a choice that you have to make. And some people have said, you know what, geez, maybe in the certain circumstances, responding wouldn't be the best option. And, and we'll explain to you um, in that class exactly why responding with deadly force may not be appropriate, why it may actually be the wrong choice. That's, again, yeah. a, a tactical choice, a tactical decision that you have to make based upon the specifics of that. And, and no two active shooter situations or active killer situations have been identical. There are all very unique factors to each one. And so each one, again, has those unique factors that, that really need to come into play in that, that cost-benefit consequence analysis. Yeah, and like we, we said before, all the, all these decisions uh, that we that you need to make in these situations happen in just a matter of moments. So the training is vital. But uh, Keith, we got about two two and a half minutes left. Anything on your radar uh, that is of any uh, importance that you want to cover tonight? 
Well, there was uh, a report that came out earlier. The uh, the state of Illinois, there's a township in Illinois, uh, which has passed an ordinance where all residents are going to be forced or required to turn in their firearms. Um, and failure to comply with this ordinance is a $1,000 per day fine. Um, so that's going to be uh, that's going to be unpacking that tomorrow. We're learning a little bit more about that ordinance, uh, exactly what the wording is there, uh, and the Illinois Rifle Association is leading the fight to uh, uh, to get that struck down in court. They've they've uh, obviously they're seeking a legal injunction against that. Um, but uh, you know this is something we've been talking about for a long time, and the 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 progressive statists now um, they're getting a little bit more emboldened. Where it used to be, well, you know, no, yeah, this is ridiculous. This is a right way. When you talk about confiscation and gun registrations and all this and surrendering firearms, that's this right wing, you know, hyperbole. It's, it's this, uh, uh, it's a conspiracy theory. That's what it is. Um, yeah. well, now, unfortunately, the progressive statists are becoming far more emboldened. Um, well, you know what? To, to, to tell you the truth, yeah, we really do want your firearms. Um, and again, it's, it's just this nonstop onslaught <clears throat> of attempts to circumvent the sanctity of the Second Amendment. And I've said this many times on this program. If you want guns and you want to ban guns from society, great. Call an Article, Article 5 convention, two-thirds of the House, two-thirds of the Senate, three-quarters of the state, boom, you, you're good to go. You can, you can have your repeal of the Second Amendment. Until then, keep your damn grubby mitts off my guns. You're not going to get them. And I would That's expect right. that there's going to be That's there's right. going to be widespread defiance of this ordinance, as I would expect. I mean, I would hope that there's going to be a, a, a court that's going to that strike this down. That the justices are going to look at this and say, I mean, clearly this is in violation of the Heller decision at the very least. Um, we're going to strike this down as being illegal and unconstitutional. Uh, but again, even if they were to strike that down as being unconstitutional, I wouldn't put it past these towns and cities, especially in the state of Illinois, to say, okay, you know what, we're going to go back and we're going to try it again. Yeah, it's uh, it's absolutely insane, as you said. Goes from a conspiracy theory to they just come on right out and admit it now. We want to take your guns away, and and nobody should have guns. Uh, it, it's absolutely ridiculous, and uh, they're going to continue to push. And and I hope we do see that appeal. But Keith, we are out of time. Want to thank you so much for joining us tonight. We will uh, post we'll repost the event up on HagmanReport.com for those who are interested. Make sure you register, and uh, Keith will thank be you. back with us next Thursday. And I am really looking forward to that announcement. Your your listeners are this is this is gonna be something really exciting for, for you and, and your dad and John and, and your listeners. So I'm I'm looking forward to when you guys make this announcement. Oh uh, so so are we. Keith Hansen, thank you so much. At real Keith Hansen on Twitter and also Joe, uh the Vermont News Wrap. Do a Google search and join Keith on his uh local news program, the Vermont News Wrap at YCN Network. We'll be right back. Thanks guys. Don't go anywhere. And welcome back to our final segment on this Thursday edition of the Hagman Report. We got a, a great guest lined up for you. Return guest Chris Bockham will be joining us and his website is remnantradionetwork.com. That's remnantradionetwork.com. And we're going to be talking about uh, a number of things, kind of picking up where we left off with Keith, uh, talking about the importance of uh, medical field training and understanding how to uh, do survival type medicine for situations that uh, may arise from natural disasters to 
uh, terrorist incidents where EMS or, or first responders may not be able to access. Somebody has to, to get in there and, and know what they're doing, and uh, we're going to talk about a number of things related to this and how to best prepare for these types of situations. You know, Joe, uh, you asked me a question while we had our, our friend Keith Hansen on in the last segment about these Amazon boxes that keep showing up. And, and essentially what I've been doing is making sure, Joe, that in the vehicle, in my in my bug out bag, and in my briefcase, I have what, what the military calls an IFAC, an I-F-A-K. That's an individual first aid kit. But this is not a boo-boo kit. This is not Band-Aids and Neosporin and some Tylenol. This is specifically for trauma. And essentially, Joe... Uh, and we can ask Chris if he wants to talk about this a little bit. Uh, the IFAC usually consists of uh, what it takes to either to either mitigate a knife wound or a gunshot wound until you can get to a trauma center. So you've got um, a clotting agent like C-Lox or Quick Clot. You've got uh, rolls of Curlix, an IDF uh, bandage, the uh, famous in- uh, Israel Defense Force compression bandage. You've got uh, proper EMT shears to get the shirt or pants off quickly. And then you've got a CAT-3 tourniquet, and that's super important. These are the tourniquets that Spec Ops guys use to get around a leg or an arm and get that bleeding stopped temporarily uh, until, again, you can get to a trauma center. And then lastly, you have a chest seal, uh, which is basically, uh, it's kind of like a big, sticky, uh, almost like a cellophane thing that goes over a chest wound and then uh, it enables uh, you to, to sort of mitigate that. And then some of the uh, IFACs have a, a, an aspirator thing, and I can't remember the name of but it's that's for when you have an actual punctured lung so that a person doesn't drown in their own lung fluids. But anyway, I'm way past my area of expertise. Chris Balcom, uh, among other things, is the host of Remnant Radio Network, along with uh, an old friend of the Hagman Report, Ross Powell, from Survival 401k. And in a previous uh, era of his life, he was an EMT, as well as a preparedness-minded individual. So, Chris, uh, jump on in. Uh, a long time since we've had you on. Too long, in fact. But welcome back to the Hagman Report. Thanks, John. It's great to be back on the show. And what a great topic to segue. I just finished taking the Tactical Emergency Casualty Care Course and certifying in that at the national level and have recertified all of my paramedic stuff. So everything's back up to date, and it's it's been great training. And you're right about the IFAC pack, that all people that carry firearms or work in public areas should keep those in their bags or keep those in their, in their car. And um, the only thing that I heard that you didn't mention was the needle decompression kit. That you did mention it, but it's one of those things that if you're not comfortable using one for someone that has a chest wound and a collapsed lung, it, that's one thing that people carry along with a um, an actual mesh stretcher, something to carry people out with. Oftentimes we forget to think about that when we're in a, an emergency situation, and if you've ever tried to carry a limp body, you'll know that that's hard work. Chris, let me ask you this. Uh, thank you for, for clarifying that. And by the way, I would use it. I've often asked myself this, and, and how many of the listeners out there have, if you had to do it, if it was a life-or-death situation, could you perform a field tracheotomy on your spouse, your kid brother, etc. We see it in films from time to time. That's that's the big boy pants right there, Chris. But let me ask you this, uh, since we just jumped in the deep end. Uh, God forbid uh, you're out, things get out of hand, and somebody plunges a knife into your friend's chest. Uh, what do you do? Do you yank it out and get to the hospital, or do you go against instinct and leave that big fat blade in? 
you, know, you go against instinct. You never remove an impaled object uh, unless unless it's preventing care. Um, so, yeah, if, if I had to perform a field tracheotomy, they call it a cricothyroidotomy or a tracheotomy of some sort, uh, where you're cutting into the cartilage in the neck and going in with either a needle or a tube to get a, you know, get a definitive airway, which that's something that really you have to have in your scope of practice as a paramedic to do out in the street. But in an emergency situation when there's no other option, you don't have any, any typical medications that reduce swelling in the airway, yeah, you would have to go in through that, through that route if you wanted to save their life. And you have very limited time when you do that, especially if it's with a needle. There are thick enough needles to be able to get air through but no air comes back out. So you're inhaling, but you're not exhaling. And then it's further complicated. Typically, people that have tracheal trauma will have other trauma on their body. So, for instance, if they have, let's say, a stab wound or a gunshot wound, uh, you also have other entryways for air to get into the chest cavity and begin to compress the lung. And it's not the collapsed lung that kills people. It's, it's the pressure against the heart itself. So that's, um, that's the idea of reducing... Uh, so if you put, let's, uh, we're kind of switching gears here, but if you were to take a needle and put it in someone's chest in the proper anatomical position for a gunshot wound, you would you would only have about three, maybe five minutes at the most that that would release air from their chest, and because the the lungs are not an actual like open container like a milk jug, they're little little pockets of air, you know, tightly condensed. In alveoli, so that's a lot of you know medical jargon. But point being is, is it really is you just have very limited time. That's the point. Well, Chris, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you this, and then I'm gonna hand it over to to Joe Hagman, uh, so he can visit with you a little bit as well. But uh, if I'm hearing you correctly, and our previous guest guest uh, Keith Hansen, if you are spending a lot of time on the range, if you are a concealed carry, if you have a firearm or firearms in your vehicle, in your bug out bag, up at the cabin, etc., uh, is it going too far, Chris, or is it reasonable to say that, that you would be remiss, that you're negligent in your duties as someone with a firearm to not have some of the training that you mentioned a moment ago? Uh, I think it's called the Tactical Emergency Casualty Care. Uh, with that, I'll hand it back to you, Chris. Yeah, that, no, you would be remiss not to carry those. Um, so the tactical emergency casualty care is open to the public. You can take it. It does have a cost involved. Uh, generally, it's around 250 to $400, depending on who you take it from. However, it is kind of the layman's version of the tactical combat casualty care for the military. Of course, they don't really want to share what they do because that would endanger them out in the field. So they've given us a civilian version that we can use. And so, yeah, I encourage people to sign up for that type of course and carry that IFAC bag with them. If you carry a firearm, you never know when you're going to accidentally shoot yourself or get shot. And especially in a dire situation where you don't follow typical triage guidelines for, you know, who's going to make it and who's not. You know, you kind of separate people out if you've got a mass casualty incident. It's, it's the cold hard truth about taking care of people at, a, at an incident or a scene. Uh, but in this type of situation where you're, let's say you're inside of a dark building or something, uh, you don't have a lot of good visibility, there's still an active shooter, there are things going on that uh, you've got coverage around you and you're trying to deliver some type of medical care, whether you're a layman or a professional, uh, you're going to want to be able to do this 
with your eyes shut, you should be able to put a tourniquet on yourself. And bleeding is the number one killer of people that are in mass casualty incidents involving shootings. It's not loss of airway or any of that. It's bleeding. And you get the right wound, and you can bleed out in less than three minutes. So you need to know how to get that tourniquet on and get it on tight, very tight. You know, a lot of people don't put it on tight enough, and the blood keeps going. Now, there's other things you want to try to do first. Apply direct pressure, elevate. You know, you talked about the hemostatic gauze, or you used to use powder, but I think it's gone to gauze now. And then you talked about an Israeli bandage. Those are all great things. But ultimately, if the bleeding won't stop, you're going to a tourniquet. And that's some very good advice, Chris. And we were talking about this with Keith just before you came on as we're uh, he's doing a, an active shooter event that involves some of this medical training and it's uh, so important and it's something that's overlooked in our uh, society today because we have the convenience of, of hospitals and EMSs and everything in between and uh, you know we've as I said last segment we've lost our uh, basic survival instincts and the knowledge that goes with those instincts as well and it's uh, something that we need to, to get back to and, and uh, understand but if we can, I want to kind of switch gears here. Um, I don't know what's on your radar as far as, as news or the importance of uh, certain aspects. John just reminded me last time he came on, we talked about artificial intelligence. And this is something that I've been kind of paying some close attention to uh, just in the last few days and weeks, looking at, at some different things. And the Google today announced that they were not going to allow their artificial intelligence software to be used in weapons or surveillance systems. Can they even say that with a straight face? Uh, aren't they already in these uh, uh, systems uses, the, the surveillance systems, the weapon systems? Aren't, is not Google's AI already a part of this? You know, I don't know a ton about how Google is, is using this or, or how they're contracted in terms of their platform, but... I do know that um, you've got a convergence of the major uh, players out here. Let's say we'll just use some examples, but I don't know that it's true for their their names. But if we were to say like a big one, like let's say Microsoft, uh, Apple, you know, we can go down a list and we can assume safely assume that um, at least a number of large companies. Now, again, I don't know that those are the companies, but a number of large companies are merging their data and. And we can also assume that it may end up on something like Amazon Web Services uh, or some, some platform like that. And we know that there's contracts with the DOD. So, it, you know, all of this stuff with AI, and you're focused on AI, and since we've last spoken, of course, I've been on a, on a real spiritual journey, uh, but I've kept up with the science and the news and technology. Uh, my bigger concern at this point is is not just AI, but the nanotechnology that you guys have covered, you know, ad nauseum oh, yeah. uh, yeah. with guests, and and how that is going to be, or is already placed into our systems through the food supply, the air, and everything else. I was looking at something the other day where they built a, a house uh, that you could only see under an electron microscope. It was less than two micrometers in size, and they did it with nanoparticles. They built a little model house. I mean, imagine the things that they can put in the air that enter your body and then change the electrical connectivity and so there's there's AI is one component of it that is worldwide it's it's going to be used no doubt I've got stuff to talk about tonight for AI we have enough time and we're, our time is already cutting fast on us here uh, but 
AI is going to control the uses and the deployment of other systems out here that are ultimately physical systems that are inside of us. And so my greater concern is the complete, the study of the smallest possible particle that there is, the study of that. And they say that they're doing this to understand the origins of the universe. That's always the official explanation, but I don't buy it. I think that it is to take control beyond the ability of anyone to see or detect what's going on. And that's the ultimate game here. And people can deny that all they want, but it's so obvious what they're doing. It's so obvious at this point. And if you don't know that and you don't see it, then you don't have your eyes on it. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. That's exactly what they're doing. And they're doing it for the purposes of manipulating not only nature and matter, but for the purposes of capturing the souls of mankind. This is a spiritual battle, and these are spiritual aspirations that these men are driving the satanic agenda through. And what's startling about this, and the nanotechnology, I want to get into that. See, what's so startling about this is nobody really understands or seems to understand the implications of nanotechnology or artificial intelligence, and they're just, you know, going forward blindly. And you see stories like we saw today where there was, you know, robots. One MIT group created a psychopathic robot that talked about liking genocide and all this crazy stuff and just showing it images of violence constantly. Nobody is stopping to ask the question, what will the consequences be once humans and, you know, the machines kind of merge or when the system is set up? And I think the unintended consequences or intended consequences are, you know, going to be globe-changing. But nanotechnology, I've read reports where they've been putting nanotechnology in medications to be able to track when users take their medication or not. And this was a year or two ago. On top of, you know, the Internet of Things and the smart houses that they're building, not the tiny microscopic ones, but they're talking about, you know, building houses where even the wallpaper is connected to the Internet of Things. And this is a startling time to be alive. Joe, let me jump in quickly. Did you read, did either Chris, did Joe or yourself, either one of you catch that article yesterday? I'm sorry, it might have been the day before. We are getting kind of late in the week. But it said that like one-third of Americans may have been already the recipient, knowingly or unknowingly, of one of these little, what do you call them, Chris, like a little nanomachine? Yeah, nanorobot. I didn't read the article, but... You know, guys, there's something interesting going on here. I think this all ties together. So I'm going to go to the days of Noah. You know, you hear that a lot from some of your guests. And uh, I'm going to say this. um, With CRISPR, with nanotechnology, ultimately this stuff gets down into your core tissues, your cells at the cellular level. So everything's being tracked. So we look at, for instance, we look at China's social credit system and we think about that being exported here because it is being exported here, although we helped design their, you know, much of their facial recognition software in the early days. They modified it, now, now reselling it to us. And um, so that is a, a, a very rudimentary version of, of keeping up with people. But, you know, the quest of these guys to, to get in and get deeper is always there. So I'm going to kind of go over something here. We're seeing articles indicating that DARPA, has unveiled genetic tuning to fight chemical and radiation attacks. 
And so, so they, I say, give me a break with the, for my best spin already. <laughs> uh, the nano assault, it, it makes special ops night vision look like child's play. What they're doing with this stuff. And, and so if we go a little bit deeper here, so we're talking about CRISPR. I saw an article that, uh, that showed a guy named Josiah J. Zayner, I think was his name, uh, actually depressing a plunger or a syringe into his right hand and, and making a joke about injecting uh, some type of uh, CRISPR modified gene sequence to help him grow bigger muscles. And this happened in San Francisco last October. Uh, so CRISPR hasn't really been perfected to the point where you can inject it into your veins and uh, ultimately do that, but it's not far away. And that hiccup's going to be solved real soon. So the bigger danger is the hybridization of superior genetics by the haves, while the have-nots fall behind for lack of funds. Now, let me go through this for a second. Old age Darwinism of environmental adaptation meets new age Darwinism of self-prescribed evolution. This is what's going on. So worse even is that while CRISPR may allow these ultra-rich to update their genomes to become superior in obvious ways, they're also going to be able to update themselves to survive what may be inflicted on the have-nots potentially through aerosol delivery, vaccines, food, etc. So when you see things like this where DARPA is doing this and saying, well, we're going to use it to treat people, and then you wonder, okay, to prevent radiation and nuclear sickness and all this other type of stuff, and you go, what are we seeing here? Is, is weaponized nanotechnology being researched at DARPA? It could have intended and unintended consequences. I don't want to accuse them of being bad because I don't know the people that work there. But my question is, are they designing invisible weapons to help political or business elite survive what it will take to get the rest of us out of the way? So, so we can go down this, this whole rabbit hole of nanotechnology being deployed in our bodies and, you know, genetics being altered in home laboratories. But if they get to the point where they can do this on a large scale, let's think outside the box. Let's look at what's happened to these websites that solicit you for your DNA for your ancestry. Yeah, yeah, this has and been think uh, about something yes, that's huge because uh, police have been uh, uh, hitting up these these companies to get DNA to match them to crimes, which is a huge uh, privacy violation. But yeah, there goes even, the Fourth Amendment. Yeah, there's even more uh, concerns of what these there's people all are the doing. Amendments. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, guys, you're 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 dead on it. This is an issue where you've got your your submitted information, which you submit online, right, or with some card you fill out. I don't know. I've never done it, but I've always been weary of this stuff. And then you've got the actual DNA information that is now stored on some segregated server somewhere or host site, uh, and that information is now out there. And so if you've also got the military, let's say, or not the military, let's just call it DARPA, or some other organization working on how to modify genes to help people survive these, you know, disasters. And you've got all of this DNA stored out here of the average person just looking for their background, which we don't even know if it's accurate. I, I read an article where it's only like 40-something percent accurate. Um, then what, what, what is the leverage here? So typically we saw with this whole deep state thing uh, over the past couple of years, it's been, you know, the big catchphrase, um, we see that people are leveraged by their sin. They're leveraged by things that they've done in their past where they were solicited for some, let's say, sexual act or something else. And so there's dirt on them. So they're, they're literally in danger if they come out and break the official line. 
So, but what if people leverage you by your DNA? What if you're leveraged by, by that on a nano level? And then that stuff can be pumped into you through your food, your medicine, the air, your air system, uh, having to take that vaccine or that medication where it's, it's designed just for you and it's laced in the code. I mean, you know, this stuff can get ridiculous, but is it really all that far out of the realm of possibilities? No, it's not. At least in the uh, in the theory and application, it's it's not. And you know, one of the things that, it, as I said before, just fascinates me about this is we ha- we hear these warnings. People like Elon Musk, they're, they're half warnings. You know, we're summoning the demon, but at the same time, he the, his solution to this is to you know basically upload your consciousness or become part uh, of the transhumanist movement uh, to avoid being enslaved by AI. It's it, it's it, it's absolutely incredible. But what are they doing uh, that they are doing under the cover of darkness that we don't even know about uh, with this nanotechnology. How are they able to track? You know, we heard Obama did a, uh, a presidential action in 2012, I believe, mapping the brain, and they have the the reverse then trying to reverse engineer the brain to better understand how it works. Nanotechnology introduced through the air, uh, food or water or whatever, would be a perfect way to map the whole circulatory system in in real time without us even knowing about it. What else can they can they do with this kind of technology? It's very alarming. Yeah, I don't really know, but I do know this much. There is a uh, there is an article that's out there that floats around, and it is on metabunk.org, and it's called Future St- Strategic Issues and Warfare, and it's a PDF. And when you get to about page 66, your eyes will drop out of your forehead. Uh, looking at the, the ways that they're thinking about using nanotechnology to go to war. And it is uh, absolutely out of this world. When I ran across it, I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. It, you realize that if you pay attention to the Bible, that it's true. No one will escape the system. There's just no possible escape once you're in it. you know. So the question that we as Christians have to begin to ask ourselves is, what 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 are we willing to go through? And I mean, I'm I'm obviously willing to to die for my beliefs, but what are we willing to go through as people? You know, I heard a talk about churches going underground. Um, you know, the, this is this has already happened, right? We've heard this, and so uh, what are we willing to go through as people? Because uh, this system is going to be unstoppable by human standards, and if AI is controlling it, and AI is making uh, psychopaths. We're yeah. in big trouble, guys. So, I know. Psychopathic robots? <laughs> We're yeah, actually I mean, having a conversation, and psychopathic robots are a legitimate part of it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you look at me and you see a slice of bacon, I mean, I'm in trouble. You know, I, I don't know what to say. So, yeah, and you're right. When you say, uh, if you pay attention to the Bible, uh, that's one of the, the main components of understanding all the different things that are happening in our world. And it's, doesn't that feel like the walls are closing in? As you said, you, you, nobody will be able to escape it. I think Patrick Wood described it as, uh, you know, the, the devil is not omnipresent. He doesn't know everything and, and everything that's going on around him. He needs a system in order to manage all the human behavior and activity. So that, what better system than the global, global surveillance, uh, system and much more, I don't want to say advanced, but much, uh, implemented much more in our society also with that biological uh ai uh, type component that you're going to have to put in you or or the mark on your hand or your forehead i mean and you cannot engage in commerce without that 
uh, what price are you willing to pay for your faith? That's the question that you need to ask. Uh, because at some point in the very near future, that exact scenario is going to present ourselves and we're all going to have to make that choice. And it's not you far know, away. I would agree with you. Yeah, the uh, I saw today where a guy has invented a blockchain religion. And you may have seen the article, but, uh, no. you know, it allows people to update their religious views and kind of come together on what they want to believe. And so this, this world is being designed all around what people want to see and feel in, in their, in their minds. They, you know, this dystopian reality that everybody has their safe space and everybody can just go there and be who they want to be and not be bothered. And, uh, no one's taking on the big issues, uh, in, you know, outside of us. Uh, and outside of people like us, I, you know, and, and the world is, is really being destabilized right now, and I believe it's probably being destabilized on purpose to set up that offer of peace, that offer of of of, of bringing everyone together, because things will be so drastic. And Venezuela is just the poster child for what could happen to you if you don't fall in line. And so I think that um, you know, it's it's all about perspective. A lot of people look at Venezuela as an isolated thing. I know my, my wife is Peruvian, and they've got a lot of migrants coming in from Venezuela, even into Peru, and they're overwhelmed down there. And uh, and we see people being moved around the world all over the place because of crises, you know, refugees and uh, just the, the movement of populations. And I think God is rearranging the world a little bit and allowing some things to happen so that we're setting ourselves up. His prophecy is going to play out no matter what you what you want certainly seems like we're living in those times yes yes it does and uh as i said it, it almost feels like the the walls are closing in uh with this this huge increase in expansion and technology and its application and, and they have one mission all all of them together uh and that is how to uh merge the the man and the ai and uh it's basically a foregone conclusion at this point that that is the direction we are going at they don't disagree on those points they only disagree on on uh you know to what level uh of reality are we going to be taken out of and how our lives are going to change what effect or how much our lives are going to change and the effect of that change they've already agreed upon the fact that everybody's going to have to be part of this system like it or not or you will not be part of society and that is i mean never before have we seen all these ingredients necessary for prophecy to be fulfilled whether it is uh you know just the 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 horrible state of the church, Israel becoming a nation again, the huge explosion in, in the uh, from the first industrial revolution till today in technology and in communications, everything, all the ingredients that are necessary for the end times to take place are here in, in front of us, and we are watching them in real time work themselves out into those positions uh, before the tribulation sets in. And when that can be, who knows? It could be 10 years, it could be 20 years, it could be tomorrow. But the everything is here and everything is that is necessary uh seems to be coming into play so definitely fascinating times to be alive uh chris we got about a minute minute and a half left any closing thoughts yeah i would just say keep your eyes on the skies it says the signs are coming from the heavens as long as you're not under a cloud cover sprayed out of an airplane uh you can probably see what's going on and uh, you know, keep your eyes out for the signs out there and be in the Bible. Read, 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 because uh, one of our greats uh, in, in in this country, uh, Dr. Chuck Missler, passed away about a month ago. And, man, I mean, that is one guy that if you haven't seen his hidden treasures in the Bible a video on YouTube, an hour and a half of just just phenomenal insight into 
the science of the Bible. And that's where my head and my heart have been for the last 10 months. And I would advise others that are in the movement to do the same, to get their heads and their hearts into this game and, and have your spiritual armor on from top to bottom and, and be studying this. Because the more you read it, the more you understand, the more you realize this is more scientific than any journal you'll ever read. It's amazing. Amen. Amazing Amen. how detailed the Holy Bible actually is if you know what you're reading and know what you're looking well, for. Well, there, and there it is. Chris, uh, you'll be hearing from me shortly. We're going to invite you back for a full hour with Doug and Joe Hagman. And, uh, thank you so much for your time this evening. Uh, folks, uh, look for Chris on Twitter at Chris B. Writes. That's Chris B. as in the letter in boy. Chris B. Writes on Twitter. Uh, and go to remnantradionetwork.com. RemnantRadioNetwork.com. It says right here, listen and learn to survive. Joe? Yeah. All right, that'll do it for us tonight. I want to thank all the guests, all the listeners out there. We will be back tomorrow with The Daily Show at 2, and then back here on Hagman Report tomorrow night. Have a great night, everyone.